0: salutations welcome one and all you are listening to the very first episode of the culture bop podcast also known as actually not also known as just known as culture bop selects Uh, it is the official pop culture and media discussion podcast of culture bop and we've got a great first episode for you today as well as some housekeeping things to take care of you know first and foremost you may be familiar with my voice from the videos on the Culture CultureBop YouTube channel or on our video game podcast, Hunting Pixels. But if you are not aware of who I am, I am your host, the one and only Bebop Man, Josh McMullen. And I am joined by my co-host for this podcast, the one and only Gil Beazie, Mr. Gilbert Kitchens. How are you doing today, fine fellow? I'm awake. I'm
1: alive. I'm here. I'm ready to talk some Bond
0: Oh yeah, yeah I, So, I was actually just scrolling through your Instagram Because uh, I don't really ever keep up with anything on social media Right And I noticed that you've been posting a lot of Bond stuff on Instagram recently And I'm just like, here for it
1: <laughs> it's, it's, It comes and goes in waves every once in a while I decide to annoy people with some James Bond stuff So,
0: mm, Yeah, fair enough um well yeah, uh so with this being the inaugural episode, uh, I figured what we would do is maybe start things off with kind of like a um uh a discussion on how this is gonna go um so usually, instead of you know this being a little disclaimer of how the podcast works and everything, we'll probably you know just kind of bullshit for a couple of minutes uh just kind of get the the giggles out so to speak um and uh then we'll we'll launch right into it but uh this show in particular is a pop culture and media discussion podcast and we'll be taking a look at everything that one could conceivably consume as a piece of media uh so this will mean like books music movies video games uh tv like the the whole nine yards, um, it's all on the table, right? Uh, the only real exception being probably like high art, like paintings, drawings, sculptures, you know those sorts of things. Uh, mainly because those are very hard things to talk about in real depth and detail. Hey, I um, think
1: that, uh, that I think that Van Gogh guy's onto something. Yeah, right. <laughs> that fucker's got something
0: going, man. I, he does that. That Van Gogh guy is real good. Um but you know what we plan to do isn't necessarily to do review discussions or or even like spoiler casts so much as we want to talk about the media that we want to talk about in an in-depth and entertaining way that gives some sort of value outside of yeah this movie's good you know um we'll also have a sort of time barrier in place uh new newer media will be put aside for uh will be put aside from the regular episodes uh but it may appear as special patron only episodes and we'll get to the patreon in a bit um but for now my thought is that uh the stuff that we'll be looking at will be at least two to three years old but we'll try to maintain a closer to like five years or older barrier of entry so we probably won't be talking about like Halloween kills on this podcast for another good bit. (laughs) Uh but with that all said, um, you know, we'll we'll go ahead and we'll throw out the format of the show. And I think this thing will be a little bit more nebulous than the more structured layout of, say, hunting pixels. Uh whereas hunting pixels, we kind of have like three main sections. You know, we come in, we talk about the media that we've been doing, we talk about our topic of the show, and then we talk about the games that we've been playing. Well, since we aren't going to be covering all uh, of, like, one medium, uh, I figured that it would be best to tackle each thing in a sort of specific way. So, like I said at the beginning, more than likely what we'll do is we'll come in, we'll bullshit for a couple minutes, and then we'll get started on the the main topic, which will be, um, you know, the piece of media for the week. And uh, each week we will break down one piece of media in a variety of ways, and it will be dependent on the type of media that it is. So the first thing that we'll do is we'll give some sort of historical context about, like, what went on into the making of the piece of media. So, for instance... In this episode, when we're talking about uh, Casino Royale and uh, the Quantum Solace, um, we will be kind of discussing the break between uh, 2002's, uh, was it Die Another Day? Was that 2002's yep. Bond movie? Mm-hmm. Whatever the last Pearson, Pierce Brosnan one That's was. A, yep, Die Another Day. Okay, um, and then leading into the development and and all of that stuff for you know Casino Royale, or you know in uh, the instance of like we'll talk about uh, a book like if we we're going to talk about Moby Dick, maybe we'll talk about like what was going into uh, like the the process like of Moby Dick, like what were All the other books around that same time doing What was Herman Melville doing You know that sort of thing Um, Then what we'll do is We will follow that up with a deep dive Into the media itself and like the craft Around it so for movies we'll be Discussing the filmmaking the plot Um, You know for books we'll talk about the Prose and how the book is constructed Like uh, in the case of Dracula uh, it You know is told in Journal entries or in the great Gatsby It's told from Nick's point of view um, we'll talk about that sort of stuff in depth in in that uh, structure. Um, and then uh, we'll finally do a little wrap up with our final thoughts on the piece of media with maybe a fun little bit of scoring uh, at the end just to kind of uh, gauge like overall thoughts. But uh, I think that is really it. Um, so... With that all said, uh, we'll go ahead and we'll just we'll launch right into it. Uh, this week's topic is 2006's Casino Royale and 2008's Quantum of Solace uh, that we did as a sort of double feature because they really go hand in hand. Um, but I'll start things off by asking you a question, Gilbizi Okay. Um, what is your first uh, experience with these two movies? Um.
1: <clears throat> so a few years before Casino came out, I started watching the Bond films. Um, I went over to a friend's house. He was watching Goldfinger. I caught the end of it, and I was like, all right, that was, that was pretty fun. I should check these out. And I don't know if you remember uh, Spike TV. I don't even know if Spike TV is still a thing. but they uh, I think
0: it got switched to a, a different moniker. Is it but something it still else runs. now?
1: Yeah, but they used to run Bond films. Like they would just do marathons on the weekend or whatever. Like it was constant. So I would record those and watch them. Just over and over again. And so Casino Royale was like the first one that I saw that I was aware of the franchise. It's the first one I saw in theaters. Like I was a fan. I was excited for it as it was coming out. Um, it's kind of that right age, 2006. I was 13. So it was like, you know, that's the perfect age to go see a Bond movie, really. Um, but this is actually one that I had also read the book um, because i gotten into... The movies my dad had started just whenever he found a copy of the book at a bookstore or garage sale or something he'd grab me one um and so I had read a lot of the original Fleming uh so that's kind of how I was going into this I was excited for seeing my first Bond movie in theaters and and all that but also I kind of knew the story a little bit from the original novel uh so I was kind of
0: prepared for it that way okay nice um so my my experience with bond as a whole uh was when i was growing up uh not necessarily on spike but um just on like tv in general i had caught glimpses of uh movies here and there uh but i don't think i'd ever sat down to watch an entire one um until probably golden Goldeneye eye yeah golden eye uh around the same time that the n64 game was coming out yeah so that was really my first uh sort of interest in bond uh being like perpetuated or what have you um and then I was working at the theater in two thousand six when Casino Royale came out, okay. so I remember watching this at a midnight screening while we were you know checking to make sure that the film was running properly right. 'cause it, back in the day, you had to do that. You had to make sure that the reels were constructed and, like, the projectors didn't break down. Now it's all digital. You don't have to worry about that. Right. But, uh, yeah. So I remember watching the 2006 uh, Casino Royale at midnight in the theater that I was working at. And uh, Quantum of Solace, I actually did not see at the premiere. I waited until it came out on Blu-ray. Oh, really? That's when I... Yeah, that's when I finally got around to it. And I don't know why it took me so long to, to watch it. But
1: I saw I Quantum know. on a... I saw it on a date, which was really great because, you know, you, if you haven't seen Casino, a lot of Quantum is just going to be... just going to kind of go over your head like so much of the plot threads. and <laughs> She hadn't seen any Bond movies. I didn't know that was a thing. I was just like, yeah, we'll go see a Bond movie on the date. Great. I didn't know it was going to tie in that much. She had no idea what was going on. I was having a great time, but... Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, uh, (laughs) I can't even imagine. (laughs) Um, Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so I guess probably the first thing to start is that, uh, so Casino Royale is the first of the Ian Fleming 007 novels. And originally this could not be made because the movie was, uh, or the movie rights were owned by, um, Sony instead of MGM and Eon Productions, mm. uh, it had initially been adapted a year after the book's uh, release for television. It was like a made-for-television movie. Jimmy and Bond. Then it was adapted. To,
1: go ahead. Oh, it was. A, it was. It was an American ad- adaptation. So he wasn't a British spy. He was a American spy named Jimmy Bond. Oh wow! Yeah, it was I, real uh, I did not know that. <laughs> it's a special thing.
0: <laughs> well, that's really interesting. That puts it in a completely different light. Yeah. Uh, I had assumed it was like a BBC sort of thing. No, I think it was,
1: I want to say it was CBS.
0: Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, so it was, uh, adapted again in 1967 as a satire starring David Niven, uh, Peter Sellers and Woody Allen. Um, I have seen this movie like once. I don't think that it's particularly good.
1: I've never actually watched it. Um, I keep meaning to, but it, it feels like it's a trap for people now because they think, oh, it's like this is the first Bond movie. Yeah, sure, I'll watch this. And they sit down to watch it. and They're like, what the hell?
0: Yeah, what in the that, world? I, I mean, that's what happened to me. I had assumed, because I went into the, the Casino Royale in 2006 being like, well, this will be my first James Bond on the big screen, whatever. And then... I had not known that it was adapted before, so I saw it sitting in, like, a Walmart, like, you know, the, like, $5 bins or whatever, Yeah, and I picked it up thinking, oh, okay, so this is an original, like, this is where it all came from or whatever, and I sit down and watch it, and I was like, this is, this is bad,
1: this is really bad. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I keep meaning to go back and watch it at some point, but it's, it's kind of, it's like trying to be kind of Austin Powers before Austin Powers, right? Isn't it kind of... Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I, I know I've seen the trailer and they have, like, because he's undercover or something, they have, like, eight actors playing James Bond. He's, like, yep. constantly going undercover. Like, he's a woman now, so they just... It's a woman actress just being James Bond now because he's undercover or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. It's, uh... It's something else, to say the least. Yeah. Um... But yeah, the, the rights for Casino Royale in specific were officially given back to MGM and Eon Productions in 1999 when Sony made a swap for that IP for the rights that uh, MGM was holding for Spider-Man. Mm. So, and it's actually kind of funny that that happened because it was, I think, three years later, Sony and uh, several other studios came in and bought basically all the rights for MGM properties and um, for distribution. And now Sony owns distribution rights for uh, James Bond again, which is really kind of hilarious to me.
1: Well, uh, well not now because I think Amazon just bought MGM now or something.
0: Oh really? Yeah.
1: So I think now technically Amazon has it or something. I don't know weird bond the the Uh, history of bond publishing rights or or distribution rights is is you could write a novel on it
0: yeah it it, dude i i started looking into like the the books um to kind of get like an idea of what was going on in these movies Mm -hmm. um as like part of the the research there we go that's the word i was looking for and I, it was a rabbit hole that I was like, I could get lost in this. I am not going to go all the way down.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, Let's see. The last movie that was made before this was 2002's Die Another Day. And uh, this one, I believe... I, I need to look this up because I did not write it down. But uh, this one was not as... Um, well received not not necessarily critically but like commercially Uh, as the two that had come before it wait casino royale or die another day die another day yeah Uh, i mean it so it made 430 million at the box office but i i feel like i remember reading somewhere that it didn't make as much as golden eye or um what was the one that came before Die Another
1: Day? Uh, there was The World Is Not Enough and Tomorrow Never Dies in between those two. Mm,
0: yes. So, yeah. Uh, and if I remember correctly, this one didn't make as much. Uh, and it, well, I, either way, I guess it doesn't matter because basically what happened was Pierce Brosnan had signed a deal for four films mm-hmm. and Die Another Day was his last one. Right. And so that released in 2002. And then he officially announced that he was no longer going to be bond in February of 2004. Yeah. Which was roughly a month and a half or a year and a half after the release of Die Another Day. So uh, I mean, do you have any insight as to whether or not they were still trying to negotiate with him to come on for more? Basically, what happened is
1: I think he's maintained. I think he was pretty sad. When, when the role went to someone else, I think he was ready to do more. He really loved being Bond. I think more than most of the actors, he really loved playing Bond. Um, and uh, basically what happened is the the franchise had kind of not run its course, but it had gone so far down a direction um, that just it wasn't resonating with audiences anymore. Where for, I mean, I'll just say Die Another Day is a bad movie, like on almost every level. It's just bad. But yeah, it's also the tone of it. It's so comedic and making light of things. Um, is that the one where he is uh surfing on like the, yes, the glacier? It, it, yeah, it's that. It's there's like a <laughs> invisible car that's chased by a space laser from a satellite that's melting the ice caps or something. <laughs> it's yeah. there's Madonna is like fighting with with the uh, with you know a saber fighting whatever that thing's called. Uh it, it's ridiculous. Um and I I think really what happened is this came out after 9/11 and now mm. you have Die Another Day, kind of taking North Korea and turning it into a joke of a like world global situation. It just didn't feel, it, it didn't resonate with audiences anymore, this kind of comedic version of world events, especially when you consider this came out the same year as The Born Identity, which was mm, a yeah. much more grounded and kind of questioning global politics and things like that, which is much more where people were at. And so I think really at the end of the day, it wasn't about the financial success. It wasn't about people not necessarily liking Brosnan. It was just they had to reset the franchise. They had to kind of go back to basics, and you couldn't do that with the same actor. You had to just press the reset button. Except for Judi yeah. Dench. You keep Judi Dench. But
0: yeah, because she's the
1: best. Exactly.
0: Um. Yeah, so I, I mean, with I think, I think that that's definitely right. Uh, They're... Were I, I have vague recollections of Die Another Day and The World Is Not Enough. I have only seen both of those movies once. That's the uh, appropriate whereas, number like, of Tomorrow times. Ne- yeah. <laughs> so Tomorrow Never Dies and GoldenEye I've actually seen multiple times. Uh, I especially love GoldenEye. I think that movie is really fucking great. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I... Going into this, they finally got the announcement that uh, Brosnan wasn't going to return. And the next Bond was announced to be Casino Royale with Martin Campbell, who was the director of GoldenEye, uh, being the dir- uh, also being announced. And this was in February of 2005. And I think to kind of go back to what you were saying, he was hired to kind of revitalize the series in... Kind of the same way that he did with GoldenEye in 95 because 95 was the first or GoldenEye uh, was the first movie in six years Mm -hmm. uh, with Timothy Dalton's License to Kill being um, the last one before that, which in a quick side note, I really like License to Kill. It's good. I I, I really like Timothy Dalton as an actor, uh, but License to Kill is very good, I think.
1: The Bond franchise has a history of <clears throat> overreacting, kind of, where mm. you kind of had a similar thing from Die Another Day to Casino Royale, different results, but they went from the Roger Moore era had gotten really goofy, and so, mm-hmm. and he was also, he was like, you should watch his last movie, because it's he's looking real old for the women he's sleeping with <laughs> in that movie, but... Uh, So they they kind of reset and got more gritty and more. They went back to the who the character was in the novels with Timothy Dalton. And I think with License to Kill, people were like, okay you're having Felix get eaten by sharks and his wife get killed. And like, what is going on? This is too dark. This Colombian drug runner kind of thing. It was just too much for people. And so, again, the Bond franchise, they were like, okay well, we uh, put Dalton on hold. And there was a whole thing with that, too, where he eventually it was in legal they had legal more production issues behind the scenes and eventually he was just like, okay, I'm not waiting around for this. I'm going to move on to something else. And so then again, they hit the reset button with uh, Pierce Brosnan and kind of GoldenEye was a bit more, more of a classic Bond film. I don't know. It had the right mix between fun and drama, but you kind of see the same yeah. thing from Roger Moore to Dalton as you see from Die Another Day to Casino Royale where it was kind of a
0: reset yeah, for sure. Um, so this was something that was a little bit uh, intriguing to me. The search for the new bond was uh, started almost immediately after Dalton was, or not Dalton. Um, Brosnan. Brosnan was uh, officially like done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Craig would uh, officially be announced in October 2005, although he had said... I was reading earlier that he had actually came out in like late 2004 saying that he had already been cast, uh, which is kind of funny. Let's see. Actually, no, sorry. It was uh, May of 2005. So it was about six months later. Uh, But he had said, you know, he had already gotten the role of bond, but it, it was officially announced October, 2005. And it was met with a ton of backlash. And I remember this specifically. Like, I remember seeing, like, online forums and, like, uh, magazines even. People really did not like the casting of Daniel Craig. Uh, He's blonde. You can't have a blonde bond. What are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, do you have any
1: recollection of this? A little bit. I remember, uh, I mean... uh, you know, I was younger then, so it's not like I was super looking into this stuff. But I, I do remember there was some talk online of people like, I don't know this guy. Like, what is this? Even when the trailers came out, people were like, this what? Uh, there's some people were calling him something. I, James Bland is what people were calling him.
0: Yeah, James Bland. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I <remember> just, <laughs>
1: yeah. So, I, I was I was a little more receptive because like I didn't have all this. Back, I just watched the movies, but I definitely realized when I was watching the trailers and stuff is like this is a very different thing from anything we've had before. Um, They're clearly doing something different here, but yeah, people people were not happy. As as I think happens with basically anybody that gets cast as Bond, people except for maybe Pierce Brosnan because there was an expectation of that, but
0: yeah, I uh, I don't remember where i watched this but i remember watching some sort of like documentary about the bond uh in general and um he had actually been he was doing magnum pi at the time when they wanted to cast him and he ended up uh having to back out because he was doing it and that's why timothy dalton got cast
1: no not magnum pi uh, was he not in Magnum
0: PI? What, you're you're, you're thinking
1: of uh, Indiana Jones, I think. They wanted, I think before Harrison Ford, they were going to cast uh, whoever Magnum PI was. I can't think of the actor's name right now.
0: Oh, Tom Selleck. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh,
1: uh, 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 Pierce Brosnan was on a show called, I know what it's called. I cannot remember. Remington Steel. Remington Steel. Steel which That's it. From, I haven't watched it. It's something I, I want to watch, but apparently, if you watch him on that, it's very Bond in 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 the role like he you like you can look at him and think that's Bond. Um and apparently there was some like he was going to be cast in like like the show got cancelled and then he was gonna come on, like you said, when Dalton was and then so he gets announced, okay, he's gonna be the next Bond and then suddenly the studio decided, Oh, well everybody likes this Pierce Brosnan guy. Let's renew Remington Steel
0: yeah because now yeah, he's high profile exactly so happened. then they
1: they put him back in and now he's stuck in his contract that he was in before and now he can't get go do bond but it just kind of worked out that way but
0: yeah yeah that crazy stuff um yeah I but the the point being that yeah outside of Pierce Brosnan like anybody who gets cast it's like what the what the hell yeah um so yeah the the film uh Casino Royale began full production in January 2006 and concluded in July of 2006 uh, and while all of that was happening Quantum of Solace was actually already in the process of being written uh, October 2005 is when it began and it was decided beforehand that the film would end up being a direct sequel to Casino Royale and would tie in to carry on the emotional arc of Bond from the previous film mm. uh, which was weird because the Bond movies usually don't do that? No. Uh, there's... So, back in the
1: 60s, there's my favorite Bond film, which is Honor Majesty Majesty's Secret Service, which mm. was a new actor, uh, George Lazenby. It's a whole thing. But basically... It, that was his only one, right? That was his only one. His, uh, his agent convinced him that with the 70s and coming and the hippies and all this stuff, people weren't going to want some uptight suit spy. People weren't going to care about that anymore. They want, <laughs> you know... They want a man of the people or something and so he didn't renew the contract and that was a mistake but um so anyways at the end of that film blofeld kills bond gets married and then blofeld kills his wife and that's how the film ends very emotional heavy ending and then the next film they got sean connery back and it was diamonds are forever and it's it starts out with this like super like cheesy Bonds hunting down Blofeld—it's like the cheesiest thing ever. No emotional connection. He's not. It's it's completely dropping it. Um. And and so yeah, these these movies really don't tie together at all. They never. They rarely do that. They almost did it with a couple of the Brosnan movies, but they they backed out of that. But.
0: Yeah, uh, I I just find that super strange because. Uh, even if we take James Bond aside, right? A lot of movies don't tend to do this. Like they don't tend to go back to back and create like even, even these new Jurassic world movies, like they were written all by the same people, but I don't think that they were initially announced to be like a trilogy or anything like that. So they weren't necessarily written to be a series until Jurassic world did so well. And then they're like, oh, yeah, well, sh- we'll make it a trilogy, just like Jurassic Park 1 through one through 3. I
1: think kind of ever since, um, like, Star Wars and Indiana Jones, people are, like, the- it's always in their back pocket that, like, maybe this could be the next franchise. Maybe this could be a big thing. And so there's always kind of a plan. But usually you get, like, the first movie kind of wraps, and it can just be its own thing. Um yeah. But, yeah, having for for Bond, where each film is so disconnected, it's just its own isolated mission, which I hope they go back to in the future. But um, it was was weird. It was wild to have it tie together like that.
0: Yeah, agreed. Uh, So all of that was going on. uh, And Mark Forster, Mm -hmm. I I hope that's how you say it, uh, he was hired and officially confirmed to direct Quantum of Solace in June of 2007 which was about a year after uh, production had wrapped on um, Casino Royale Mm -hmm. and roughly six months mm, roughly like seven months after it had hit theaters and I I have this later in the notes for Quantum of Solace uh, but what's interesting here is that they started the script. They got the script like to a, a reasonable state. And then as that happened, the writer's guild of America went on strike and kind of changed the entire direction of quantum of solace. Yeah. At least to a, well, they, so
1: the, to the, of the, uh, the, the story they've, uh, that multiple people involved in that have given is basically what happened is the guy wrote the script uh, he had like the first draft. That's all he could get done. He walked into Eon, handed them the script, and then uh, had to walk out and start protesting because he handed it in like right before the deadline, like literally minutes before the deadline. So he had to yeah. he had to hand in the script, walk out of the building, walk across the street, pick up a whatever for the strike, all that stuff, the union, whatever. Um, so they, they were making that movie up. They were kind of making changes on the fly as they were filming the movie. Which I would say is pretty impressive that they got it as good as they did.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, So, yeah, all all of that really is kind of like where we ended up. Uh, Eventually, they got the movie done. It was uh, finished in May of 2008, I believe, or June, June of 2008. And then uh, the movie finally released in, uh, where is the date? I just had it. November 14th. Uh, there it is. October uh, October 29th, oh. 2008. Oh, that was in London. Yeah, you know, there's right. always...
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the U.S. Yeah. date.
0: Okay. Uh, but yeah, so... I, I mean, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, we'll start with Quantum of Solace, obviously. Or not Quantum of Solace, Casino Royale. Yeah. Um, and I think that probably the best place to start for these is, is the script, which was written by paul haggis and neil purvis and robert wade. Purvis and wade um so what i had originally read was that they were doing like some weird thing where like you know he was backpack backpacking through um uh, madagascar the movie was about to be or was supposed to be about him earning his license to kill and then eventually they started folding in more and more of the Casino Royale stuff until it basically just became a Casino Royale Mm -hmm. thing. And then Haggis was brought in after his work on, uh, what was the movie he did? Crash. Yeah. Crash. Uh, he was brought in by Eon Productions to kind of punch up the script afterwards. Yeah. So Haggis, when he, he got brought in, he had stated that he wanted to do something for James Bond, similarly to what Batman Begins had done for Batman. And uh, in an interview later, he said that I, really what his biggest contribution was, was changing the ending for the movie where initially Vesper kind of confessed that she was the you know femme fatale of the film. And she sent Bond into the building to get the bad guys or whatever. And instead, he changed it to where she was in the building with them and that. Uh, she never confesses or anything like that and that she dies going down with the building. And that seemed to be what he he has said was his biggest influence. Good choice. So, Yeah, right? I, I don't know that the movie would work as well as it does had he not made that change. But um, I wanted to talk about the plot a little bit with you. Okay. Because I think that the plot is. I feel like the writing for this movie is something that uh, I, l- I feel like a lot of Bond movies, at least in modern day, fall uh, prey to. And I feel like it's not. This is going to sound bad, but I don't mean it as bad. I think that it gets a little bit long And that the movie kind of almost feels like it is two movies Hmm. because I feel like it takes a very like the first probably hour of the movie, I feel like is its own little thing. And then it almost completely gets disconnected from the second half of the movie where the whole first part is about the, the whole bomb threat and everything. And then the second half is all about the poker game.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, it's actually interesting you say that, um, because the original novel Casino Royale, it's the poker thing. It's not all that stuff before. It is not part of the the original novel. Oh, um, nice. It is all tied together. It does all connect. It, it it's a logical progression from one step to the next in the movie. But I can I can see why you would feel like it it feels disconnected.
0: Yeah. So again, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but mm-hmm. I feel like. Uh, it, it's funny I feel like the movie actually gets more tense as it goes on yeah. uh, because even even the like bomb threat stuff at the like that entire sequence in the like the airport yeah. and all of the stuff that's going on where uh, Bond is actually tracking down the ellipsis and mm-hmm. you know all of that stuff I feel like all of that stuff, is like it, it's fun and like I feel like it kind of needs to be there, but I feel like it grows in intensity and intention all the way up through the poker game because I feel like actually the most tense that the movie ever gets is in that last probably hour or so where it's just Bond and Le Chiffre as they're like kind of like dueling each other if that makes sense. Well, it's
1: I think the first half is there because you have to put Lashif in a point of desperation. So mm-hmm. like yeah. what would have been a perfectly fine plan for him is being completely destroyed by this bond guy who now as he's coming into the poker game now they're one on one. Um, So there's this background now where LaShif is in this position because of Bond and Bond is in this position because of Le They've been Mm -hmm. kind of from a distance going at each other and now it's moving in. Um, I think part of why it feels so different is because they were aware that poker can make a good movie. But as an action movie, poker is not the most exciting thing. So they put a lot of their action set pieces up front. Um, with that whole plot. And then as it moves into there, you still get action. You still get, you know, the stairwell fight and all that. But it's they, they, they front-loaded a lot of the real big action spectacle. I mean, obviously, that chase through the, the construction site is probably the, the biggest action scene in the film. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I've never, I've never thought about it like that. I think it flows really well from one to the next, from, uh, from the whole thing, because it, I think where it may fall a little bit short is you kind of have to watch the movie a few times sometimes to realize what the villains plot really like what's actually like he's investing in something and then there's like a bomb thing and then he's got to play poker for some reason and also there's these guys in (laughs) Africa and like it all fits together it's just it doesn't it's not as easy to comprehend on first watch as a typical Bond film which is like oh he wants to blow up the world for some reason like then we got to stop it
0: yeah, well, oh, I'm, we'll get into that with Quantum of Solace, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it, if my kind of like following of the plot is correct, so basically what he is doing is his plan is to take like a bunch of money from a bunch of different people, invest it in something, mm-hmm. and then uh, sell it right before the stock implodes And he does something to cause the stock to implode. So, like, it'll be on an upward trajectory. He invests the money. He makes a ton of money. And then he, in this instance, was going to blow up the gigantic plane, which I assume would cause the stock to fall. He sells it right before then. And then the plan is thwarted. So he doesn't – he isn't able to actually make any of the money. Is that right? I mean – Yeah, so I – when it comes to like the selling stocks thing,
1: like selling before, the th- I don't, I'm an idiot. I don't know how stocks work like that. I just, basically the idea is he's doing something with all these other terrorist money. He's, he's supposed to just act like a banker for all these different criminal groups. And instead he's taking their money, gambling with it essentially, and then he'll mm-hmm. give them their money, of course. But then he gets to skim off the top, whatever he does with it.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, exactly.
1: Whatever however the stock end of things work, he's organizing this terror attack to cause the because it's a prototype plane, it's like the first it's a high uh what's the word? high prominence whatever uh showpiece for this company. They're going to unveil their new jumbo jet. That's this whole thing. It's the first flight and so he's going to blow it up. That's going to cause the stock to crash and somehow he makes money on that. Um yeah. But because that doesn't happen, he bet in the wrong direction because Bond foiled the plot. So now he has to win back all that money in a fast time because now he's lost a bunch of criminal money. Um, so that's where he goes to the poker game because it's the fastest way he can just get back money uh, t- yeah. to save his ass.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, so the opening of the movie... Uh, there's the the black and white sequence that actually starts the movie out uh, which is bond getting his license to kill uh, and then it goes into the the Chris Cornell song uh, but then like the movie proper starts in Uganda um, with the whole plot with Lashif starting out and that's actually something I didn't remember. Hmm. Um I always remembered the movie starting in Madagascar for some reason. I don't know why, but like that's I just completely forgot about that opening what like two or three minute sequence where Le Chief comes in and grabs the money from the uh yeah. the people in Madagascar. Or not Madagascar, Uganda, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um but okay. Um was there anything with the uh, with the themes of the movie that stood out to you, because one thing that I think uh, I, it, I mean, it's I feel like almost heavy handed. But like, I feel like a lot of the big overarching theme is gambling because Craig being the inexperienced double O agent. Right. Mm-hmm. Or a bond, not Daniel Craig. Right. Um, but in this movie, with him being the kind of inexperienced double O he takes a lot of chances, and he gambles a lot, and sometimes those don't pay off and actually cause for bigger headaches for the MI6, and uh, I think that's obviously one of the big ones, is gambling, but was there anything that really stood out to you as like something that the movie really kind of like latches onto? Uh, the movie itself... It, it,
1: it's This is why I think it works such like such a good uh, counterpart to Quantum of Solace, just watching them together, because I think a lot of the themes really come out in Quantum of Solace, and it I kind agree. of recontextualizes a lot of what's going on in Casino Royale. Um, I would say there's an undercurrent, not so much of Bond gambling, but Bond knowing what he's doing. And you got to trust me, it's more MI6 having to gamble that Bond knows what he's doing and mm-hmm. sometimes bond is wrong because there's people working against him that he's unaware of um but like the whole like he's constantly do, like he's breaking into m's office which she thinks is just reckless but he's actually using her computer to get information so he can keep pursuing this lead like it's not it's kind of a, it, it's him going trust me you got to trust me in this <laughs> like yeah that that's that's definitely there um i think there's there's a, uh, how do I put this? I think the relationship between Bond and Vesper really brings out what am I trying to get at? You've got two people who don't really trust anybody taking down that, those walls to trust each other mm-hmm. and opening themselves up to being vulnerable. And this is why I would say it works so well with Quantum Salas because really you see that the effects of this in the next one.
0: Yeah, but with Bond, I was actually literally just about to point that out. Right. With Bond, it's
1: everything is dispassionate. And I actually really liked it because typically in Bond films, he get, you know, he'll sleep with the woman because whatever, like like in old Bond films. Right. When he's with uh, oh I can't remember her name, the the, the wife in, uh, you know, what I'm talking about earlier in the film, the terrorist wife, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't remember her name. Either. Right. He in older Bond films. Right. Instead of him ordering caviar, he would have been calling the airport to order to schedule a flight to Miami. And they would have scheduled it for like he would have been like, oh, it departs in one hour. And he'd ask for like a departure, like in two hours, like another flight, because he would want to sleep with the wife. Right. That's what old Bond would have done. But in this case, Bond is only interested in her for what she knows about the plot. He's so focused on the job. And he's just completely dispassionate about anybody around him. And like it even shows later when she's dead, he doesn't really feel anything. He's just kind of, well, that's what happened. They killed her, I guess, but I got the guy. So whatever. But then Vesper breaks that down and he actually does care about her. And he actually is trying to uh, protect her and look out for her. And is he's being influenced by that, um, which then of course leads into quantum of solace when now he doesn't trust anybody. Um, but I would say that there's kind of that undercurrent through the film of trust. like who if is mi sex trusting Bond? is Bond trusting the people around him? Or are the people around Bond trusting him to get the job done? You clearly see Vesper doesn't think he can win this poker game and all this stuff, even though like you know, he throws away a hand to figure out Lashif's tell and to to Vesper, it looks like he just lost and he's gonna lose all the money. and he's like, no, no, no I know what I'm doing. I got this. So yeah. i say, yeah, you know, I, yeah, definitely trust and like gambling on other people, I guess, maybe, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Tr- trust is the, is the big one that I think I, uh, immediately like latched onto, um, as, as being like the big theme. Um, obviously, like I said, I, I feel like it's almost a little bit heavy handed with, with the gambling thing, but, I think that the, the one undercurrent that really does drive the entire movie is trust. And what you said about, uh, Craig and oh God, I keep doing that bond and Vesper and the breaking down of those barriers to where they do trust one another. And I, I actually love the ending to this because it is, he has finally put his trust in someone else and she actually betrays that trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is something that I like. I don't think I really grasped when I first watched this in two thousand and six. I just thought it was like a uh, like, oh, she's the femme fatale. Of course, she's going to do this. But like when you break it down more into like what his character does throughout the entire movie and how that affects him, like it's a a really big deal and I, it is the one thing that uh, yeah like I said um, I I really latched onto this viewing and, and going back um, to it not
1: being quite as straightforward I think a lot of people walk out of the theater like I guess she betrayed him I think but like I don't think people really got what was going on Mm-hmm. Directly yeah, I think there was a I little agree. bit like wait I, She died because to save him But how like she, they could have just walked Like I don't think people quite got it But I think the more you watch it and the more You realize you piece together exactly What's going on and of course in the context of Quantum of Solace um, it, it really becomes A tragic Ending and, and something that Bond Has to reconcile with That, mm-hmm. that you know going forward and, and that's that's carried forward through all The Craig films
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Agreed. Uh, So there is um, two more things that I think I'd like to touch on with the writing before we get into maybe like the direction of everything. Uh, I think that we were just talking about Bond and Vesper and their like chemistry and everything like that. Did it feel like to you their chemistry was a bit off? No. Um, okay. I don't know. I've, I've, maybe that was just a me thing. I've always
1: thought they were a lot better than most uh, Bond pairings. Um, but I don't I don't know. That's, maybe that's just I've, I've seen these two characters for so long. Uh, in fact, like comparing it, um, we're not going to get into this movie, but like with Spectre, uh, the most recent oh, Bond God. film. Like I'm supposed to believe that the first woman he trusts is, uh, uh, what's, what's her name, Madeline Swan or whatever. And it's like, there's no, I don't see any chemistry here. <laughs> there's like nothing. Yeah. And now I've got to go watch a sequel with these two. And it's like, I, I don't buy it. All all I'm thinking is like, yeah, she ain't Vesper. She's not. No. <laughs> what is
0: this? Yeah. I, I think of, of all of the modern Bond movies, these two definitely are the ones that get it correct. Yeah. Um, like in terms of their chemistry, but I, I don't know. I was watching it and like every scene up until probably like the last, I don't know, maybe like 20 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. Every scene with them leading up to that, I just kind of felt like something was off. Well, the thing you got to remember
1: too is her character is until she finally gives in to her feelings for him, she is trying to manipulate the situation to save her boyfriend. Yeah, Yeah, that is true. This other guy. So there's a lot of scenes where she's a little bit flirty. Like there's a shot in, uh, you know, when they're both getting ready and she's putting on her makeup or whatever and you know the it's tailored and all that stuff um where she kind of gives him a look and then as soon as he walks out of the room she kind of drops the smile and goes back to her focusing on what she's doing like she's not fully giving in to him because she's focused on having to lie to everyone and manipulate the situation while also seeming trustworthy like there's a lot more going on until later on, when eventually she knows she's dead, anyways, and so she just gives into yeah. it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, and you, I think you had brought this up a little bit when we were talking just about like older Bond movies in general, but I forgot how funny this movie is. Mm-hmm. It's not like in your face, like a comedy or whatever. Yeah. But like, there were just little bits that like I. I got really hearty laughs out of, like for instance, the uh, in that fight sequence or not fight sequence, the action sequence where, uh, you know, they're f- free running through the construction mm-hmm. or whatever, and the one guy jumps through the kind of like yeah. small little slat, and then Bond just comes Grinching crashing through the, the drywall. <laughs> yeah. Like that made me laugh unnecessarily hard, and then there were other little things like, um, like. When he calls M, I think this is in the airport uh, sequence, and Villiers answers the phone, and Bond is like, Can you just put me through to M? And he says, Sorry, can I put you on hold? Like, I don't know why, but that made me laugh really hard. And I just forgot because I feel like after this movie, uh, especially with like especially with quantum of solace skyfall to, I feel like a lesser extent, but especially with quantum of solace, I feel like the movies take themselves very seriously, Mm. but this one still had some of that like comedic charm and wit to it. And what's so great about a lot of the
1: comedy in this movie is it's, it's not just a, a, it's not stopping to be comedy. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. remember in specter, um, there's a shot at the beginning where like a building crumbles and he falls through the floor and lands on a couch. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like <laughs> that didn't do anything, but like in the, in the c- construction site chase um, bond we're used to is doing, does everything smooth. Everything is perfect. Everything mm-hmm. is flawless. And this is a new bond. He's rough. He's untamed. He's not truly 007 yet. He's still, you know, getting comfortable in the, in the, his new position as 007 and so he is raw he's not gonna be he's not gonna take the elevator he's gonna you know jump onto the lift and smash the thing and let it crash into the ground and like just drive a forklift through something it's you know (laughs) he's he's not it's showing you who the character is but while also being just fun to watch or like when the guy shoots the he tries to shoot bond on top of the crane and it's empty. So he just throws the gun and bond catches it and just throws it back at him <laughs> like a little bits like yeah. that where it, it's comedy. It's funny, but it's also, it's you showing you the character or like later in the movie at the, when he shows up to the hotel, he's trying to chase down the texts and mm-hmm. you see it's, it's all subtle. Like you said, but like he gets out of the car and gets down to, to uh, tie his shoe to check the cameras. And then the guy comes over and, uh, he's you see that bond is dressed exactly like all the chauffeurs all the the parking lot attendants. he doesn't even really i don't even think that was his plan it's just he is and so the guy throws him his keys and he's like okay i'll roll with this i can make this work and he just goes that's
0: actually another scene that i wrote down is like uh, something that made me laugh
1: yeah and it just keeps going because every time you see that guy in the hotel he just gives bond a look like what aren't you the guy that
0: yeah (laughs) wait a minute yeah, I, I think this movie actually has a lot of, uh, I, I mean, we can segue this into the, the direction, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that this movie kind of has like a uh, a real funny sense of like visual comedy or like teasing the audience. Like the uh, scene with the ass and Martin when he takes the the wife of uh, yeah. Yeah. what is his name? Yeah. Uh, Oh my God. The, the guy uh, who uh, dies the body
1: exhibit.
0: <laughs> yeah. When he takes, when he takes the, that car and like drives it around and you think, you know, he's going to drive and it's going to be the, the Aston Martin, like double Oh seven, you know, car sequence or whatever. And right. he just kind of pulls it around the hotel. Yeah. I thought that was really, really funny Yeah, uh, to like tease the audience, but also like, that, I don't know. And
1: again, that's a funny moment for us, but that also is humorous to the characters, which adds to, you know, he's trying to he's trying to seduce her. He's trying to be funny. He's trying to be playful with her. And so it works on both levels. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I love I love it when people are able to do that. We're able to make the audience laugh, but also have it make sense for the characters and add to the story. It pushes the story forward still.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, so... I figured I would I've got some notes here on Martin Campbell, um, who was the director of this film. Uh, So I did not know this, but when I looked him up, uh, he actually made his start directing softcore sex comedies. Okay. um, Interesting. In his home country of New Zealand and carried that over into his work in England Hmm. um, in the 70s. And then he kind of stopped doing that near the end of the 70s and found work as a TV director and got a big break with 1985's Edge of Darkness limited series which actually won him a BAFTA um, he is arguably best known for his two Bond entries which are Casino Royale and GoldenEye uh, but he's got some other stuff in there like The Mask of Zorro from 98 uh, at Green Lantern yeah, I, I was gonna say I hate to mention this because I think the movie is really bad, but he directed Green Lantern. Um, and there was one other one uh, that I actually didn't write down, but I was like, people would know this. Um, let me see films he did, uh, or maybe that's just a me thing. Uh, he directed uh, Vertical Limit, which was the um, it's a like climbing movie, weird like a mountain climbing movie with it's Chris like- O'Donnell there's gotta be one
1: of those like every five years where it's like, yeah, people go climbing and it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I feel like one of those comes out every uh, once in a while.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, but so, uh, yeah, I, I think that the direction in this is pretty solid. Uh, and this goes from him all the way down to like the production and set design. Like everything feels in this movie, very, very, tactical not tactical that's the wrong word like tactile like it mm. feels real um and i don't know that's like something dumb to say but in like 2006 we were starting to get into the stuff where like i think two years after this right i think 2008 is the beginning of mcu with iron man mm. and although iron man had a, a ton of practical effects with it It's the beginning of that sort of, like, digital era where everything is fucking CGI. Yeah. And this movie feels... Grounded. Like, handcrafted. Well,
1: and it's not just because it was before a lot of the CGI started to take off, because, again, Die Another Day. It's bad. It's, like, real bad. (laughs) But, (laughs) uh, But, yeah, so I think it was kind of... It was just, you know, you look at the script and you look at the story that they're telling, and it doesn't need a lot of that it doesn't need to be anything other than what it was um even even like i think like the uh like now it'd be all cgi but like at the end of the film when the building is collapsing in venice i'm pretty sure that the external shots were a miniature that they superimposed on shots of the actual location um which that's a pretty impressive miniature it looked pretty real um and they may have touched it up with digital stuff but i just don't think the movie really called for Uh, a lot of digital effects it's just it would have been out of place having these big huge showpieces of digital whatever they didn't need it
0: yeah agreed agreed um let's see so the only thing well i think we'll get to this more when we start talking about quantum masalas but um The cinematography here, I think, is fine. Uh, But I noticed something, and I I wrote it down in my notes. I feel like this whole movie has, like, a weird golden tint to it. Like, everything is very, like, yellow and orange. Um, And this is kind of, like, all the way throughout the movie. Uh, With the exception of, like, the night sequences, maybe. Yeah. Um, I was actually... I feel like the whole movie is kind of gold
1: it's interesting as i was watching it like it does kind of have that that was that that was a choice with the color timing around that that era i guess where everything a lot of people call it the piss filter um i i, I was actually surprised because i think it's gotten more and more as time goes on so when i was watching the film the other day it was like man this is really colorful like there's a lot of col- it's not muted like a lot of movies now a lot of movies that kind of takes out some of the saturation but uh, like anytime there was like it was showing uh, you know when he was on an island or whatever and it was just a bunch of trees I was like this is man there's a lot of color in this I was I don't know (laughs) so it's interesting I I thought it it had some of that but not quite as much as you might get um, now Uh, but I think really a lot of the cinematography really um, how to put this it's not over the top. It's kind of, it's kind of what it needs to be. Like it's not going for anything super artistic. It's kind of just going for a more, like again, a more grounded thing. But without, you know, at the same, I, some people say this with Quantum of Solace, where they followed Jason Bourne too much with the documentary style, rough cuts, and cameras moving all over the place. It was. It's kind of a because Casino royale is kind of a classically shot film. It's not nothing really stands out too much, but at the same time, there are a couple shots I really like, but, um, yeah, it kind of, it gets the job done.
0: Yeah. I, um, that's really the only thing that stood out to me. Uh, and again, I think we'll get into this definitely when we start talking about quantum Stylus. but, um, uh, the only other thing that I think I wanted to bring up in particular with this is that, um, I feel like uh, it was a weird choice to have sort of like 2006 sort of like cell phone tech and stuff like that. <laughs> Pulled uh, out a Sony Ericsson. <laughs> the,
1: yeah. It's not even a touch screen. It's, just, oh, it's oh, so good. Man. So nostalgic. That, that, I was thinking about that the other day, that it really is those little things that date the film. Outside of that, this movie could have been made yesterday like it, it really does hold up but yeah having like him pull out his sony ericsson phone and like they're like t9 text
0: whatever it's like goodness gracious a a little bit ridiculous Um, high tech at the time i guess (laughs) oh yeah for sure um let's see so i'm looking through my notes to see if there's anything else that i wanted to go through um, I did send you, we don't have to talk about it, but I did send you that somebody has done
1: a bunch of color correction on this. They kind of just on their own. So if you wanted to see it without the, Ooh. without the filter, they kind of go through it, but.
0: I will definitely look at that. Uh, Cause yeah, that, that's the one thing that I think I really took away from the visuals in this is that it does just kind of look yellow and, or, or gold I think is probably the better uh, thing. Um, there is one thing in particular, and I think that this will, we can kind of get into like the sort of editing, uh, of the thing is there was one scene. It was the, it's the scene where, um, Oh my God. Oh my God. The dinner scene after she saves his life or whatever, yeah. uh, where they're sitting at dinner.
1: Another great comedy, bit, by the way, where, where he's, he's dying. And she comes out and fixes it. And his first words
0: are, are you okay? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but the, so the, the whole, that whole sequence, I feel like is shot very generically. It's very, it's the, the whole, like, uh, I forget, I forget the exact shot that it's called, but you know, it's the over the shoulder, whatever, um, shot, reverse shot, the talking sequence that everybody, Everyone shoots it the same fucking way. It's always right. over the shoulder, you know, whatever. And the whole sequence is kind of shot like that until there's this one moment where she kind of like sits back and it's just a close up of her. Hmm. And I don't know what the hell that was, but it really stood out to me because the rest of the sequence is so very generic. And I, I feel like that is something that probably. Could have been caught in the editing, but like wasn't for whatever reason.
1: Interesting. I'm. I'm. i have yeah. got the scene pulled up now. I'm just. Well, she's so, I, the, the the shower. It kind of lingers. She's checking her phone, getting the message. I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. That didn't stand out to me. But again, it's hard for some of this stuff to stand out when I've been watching this movie for. 15 years yeah but uh, yeah, yeah I don't know that's interesting
0: um yeah so uh outside of that um I feel like the movie is is edited fairly well uh and you brought up you know the born uh the born movies or whatever and one thing that again we'll get into with um Quantum of Solace is I feel like there's a lot of action movies of this era that like to do the whole like quick editing with the shaky cam. Or the documentary that style. Is, yeah. And, and I, as someone who has been watching movies for fucking ever, uh, I understand what they're doing. I know that it's supposed to like put you in the middle of it. You're supposed to be part of the fast and frenetic action. And, what have you, but I like the way that the action sequences in this movie are shot and edited a lot more because it gives you a chance to take a look at everything that's happening. And it's not like, it's not full of like really quick, like half second cuts. Yeah. And I think that that stands out. Um, I, I compared to other movies of the era. we
1: can get into it more in quantum uh because i actually i th- i think I get what he was going for it's more than just the the audience i don't know how to put it it's 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 more than just a style choice i i think there was a a reason why he chose to shoot some of the action in quantum the way he did um that ties to the story uh maybe i'm maybe I'm being uh, pretentious here i don't know <laughs> but uh i i think there's actually a a story reason why he chose to shoot it the way he did um but yeah no the the, the scenes in casino are great i mean so much of it your you total spatial awareness of what's going on the construction site i i've never been confused watching that you totally can track where they are and how everything is laid out um yeah, it's again, I think I think th- they didn't take too many risks with the cinematography in Casino Royale and it paid off because the focus, the risk was the story and the risk was the new interpretation of the character. They didn't need to shoot it in any way that was fancy or whatever. It just
0: it gets the job done. Yeah, agreed. Um, so I think I mean, we'll we'll probably fly through this because I don't think there's much to say, but. Uh, the next thing that I've got written down here Is the music um, The score was by David Arnold mm-hmm. uh, I think the score is fine It, I feel like it's very Bond Fine um, The Vesper's Fiend is that I beautiful think, <laughs> What are you talking about fine <laughs> I, I, I don't know I, I feel like there's a bunch of like Brass in here mm-hmm. Which I, I don't know it, it's fine
1: I like the way he incorporates uh, the Cornell song into the...
0: Yeah, yeah, that that is, it, I, it, I think, it, nice. it slowly
1: pops up, a little leitmotif kind of comes in, and again, I, Vesper's theme is just, it's so perfect. And when it comes up in later movies, when it's referencing her, it still, it works. Um, mm. But yeah, outside of those two themes, its I mean, it's it's
0: Bond, but
1: it's David yeah, Arnold exactly. still. So.
0: Yeah, uh, did you have any notes on the Chris Cornell song? Uh, the only thing I wrote down was the song is good, but it feels like a weird choice. People fucking hate this song. <laughs> I like uh, this song. They don't
1: hate it as much as the theme for Quantum, but people don't like it because it. Part of it is that Bond fans want every Bond film to be Goldfinger, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not going to get into a whole like the. If you read the original Fleming novels, I think most people would be surprised how non-formulaic they are where the Bond films kind of hit their stride and kept going, and one there's things you expect from a Bond film. The Mm -hmm. Bond novels, like, there's one of the... The Spy Who Loved Me is written from the perspective of a teenage girl who ends up being saved by Bond. Like, it's not even from Bond's perspective. They're really experimental in some ways. Um, But I say that just to say, like, because the movies have been so formulaic, a rock song doesn't sound all that Bond. I guess, but I think the song itself yeah. is great. I think it fits Craig. I think it fits the movie, um, and I really like the opening titles. I like I like all the little casino imagery and and all that. Uh, I like how they play it. A lot of Bond themes or films. The the opening is just it's just silhouettes of naked women and like gun barrels and stuff <laughs> and that's and Bond falling for no reason. Uh, it's <laughs> it's just most of the Bond intros and this actually ties into the plot. In, a, in really cool ways. I mean, it doesn't tie... It's not part of the plot, but, you know, it's playing with the the actual themes of the movie and stuff. It was really cool. Um, I don't know. I've never had a problem with... I, I, I like it. But again, I was 13 when this movie came out, so a Chris Cornell rock song was pretty cool, and now I'm just used to it. So my reaction is yeah. probably different from a 40-year-old guy who's seen all the other films when they were in theaters or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. I Yeah. Uh, the... I think I agree that... Uh, to an extent that like the rock song doesn't fit what bond should be. Um, cause I, I always feel like I hear like jazz when I think of bond, like that's what I think of, but I don't hate the song. I, I think the song's pretty good. Uh, we'll get into the fucking quantum one later. Uh, so let's we'll talk about the characters and the acting. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, uh, is here as Felix Leiter. Um, my note on this was, uh, let me find it. It is down here. Uh, Jeffrey Wright seems miscast. He's very underutilized. Um, I did not remember him returning in Quantum of Solace. Uh, I only remember him in this movie. Uh, so I really, really was like, what the fuck is he doing here? I think, he, he's, I think he's in the new an actor. One too.
1: I think he shows up in no <laughs> time to die too. Um, wow Felix Felix is a Felix I think I, I want to say Jeffrey Wright is like the second actor to play Felix twice or he may be the first like there's been so many there's been way more Felix actors than there have bond actors. Um, mm. but I kind of agree it's like what people think they did with Bond. Or what they worried they were going to do with Bond with making him kind of boring and, and way too serious. Um, I think they kind of did with Felix. Like, Felix is the fun American. Like, yeah, he's a CIA guy, right? And, like, this is, like, he's way overplaying. I don't know. I This is unpopular. A lot of people love Jeffrey Wright as Felix. But I, I don't know. I've never—I I don't have a problem with him in, in Casino. I think he's way too over dramatic in Quantum. Um but I don't know. I, I'm kind of indifferent to him because, you know, I think he I don't know. He gets the job done, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I I just feel like he's miscast. I think he's a very good actor. Uh, I think he's under underutilized in this movie. And then in Quantum, he's I think maybe utilized like the correct amount. Like he's in the movie a lot more in Quantum of Solace, but he's his performance in Quantum of Solace isn't as good. It is very, like, overly dramatic yeah. and very, like, I don't know.
1: Takes a lot of weird pauses.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one I've got here is Giancarlo Giannini, uh, who plays Rennie Mathis. Um, Again, I don't have much to say about this character uh, other than I think that the... Um, the actor I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I know him from like a bunch of stuff. He, mm-hmm. I mean, he's all over the fucking place. Um, but I, I think he's fine in this. Uh, he brings a sort of like, um, uh, charisma that I wasn't expecting.
1: I love him in the role. I think it's great. Um, uh, Renee is a character from the books plays a very similar role to the plot in in Casino Royale. Um, Mm -hmm. Really, him and Vesper are both pretty spot on from the books. I mean, it's expanded, but uh, it's, I don't know. I don't have much to say, but I I love him. There's so many great bits where, like, uh, you know, kind of going back to the comedy, like where he has, he keeps getting people arrested. Yeah. on Lashief's end and he just kind of like he just kind of sits back and watches as it's happening like you just see somebody getting arrested he just makes the phone call for the, to the body in the trunk or whatever just kind of smiles as the guy gets arrested or whatever um I think he's great in, in this and Quantum I love him in both
0: yeah um alright so the next character that I've got here I pulled up a different okay uh is Simon God, Abkarian, I hope. Sounds right. I say that right. As uh, Alex Demetrius. He, I think, is... uh, I don't know how I want to say this. Yeah, I think he's... I almost feel like he's miscast. I, I think he's good. I think he does what he needs to do. But there's something, like, I feel off about him. I don't feel like he's maybe menacing enough.
1: Yeah, but I don't think he's really... I mean, he's not the... Uh, I, I think it may be in a situation where it's like you don't want to overshadow the main villain before you've yeah, really that's, introduced that's totally the main fair. villain. I mean, you, they, they had introduced him he's in like first scene, but... Uh, first real scene. Um, but it, I don't know. He, he's, he's fine for what he's doing. He's not really supposed to be a menacing villain. He's just a broker between... Uh, I guess Lashif and the actual terrorist. Um, yeah. Know, he's fine. Yeah, And, he, and he's playing I, a yeah. guy who basically just buys everything he has. He's got the car because he bought it. He's got the wife probably because he bought bought her. He doesn't actually care about anything. I think he's fine.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, Judy Dench as M. She has played M since. Goldeneye. What, Goldeneye? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. I think, I mean, I think that's right. Yeah, no, that's right. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, I love her as M. Uh, I think she really gets, or has gotten a lot better in the role as they go along, and she really hit her stride with this movie in particular. Well, the um,
1: I think when they originally cast her, they felt the need to kind of right into the story that m is a woman and so you had this kind of tension between bond who is as she calls him a misogynist dinosaur and m who is a a woman i guess and that's kind of what they did i think she's great in the brosnan films but like nothing tops her first scene in this where she just goes on a rant and she's like why is he blowing up a bloody embassy like, yeah. what's, what's the matter with God? Christ I missed the Cold War like,
0: yeah th- that line made me laugh so I hard. still
1: remember the theater like everybody was just laughing at that it's just so good
0: she yeah she's fantastic and it's it's it's,
1: it's, I, it's the it, it says a lot that they rebooted the entire series and still brought her back because like why would you not bring her like yeah of course you're gonna have her like she's yeah. the one thing yeah, that carried over
0: is she's super fantastic in these movies yeah um, I actually think that a lot of comedy comes from her character, weirdly, um, and and she like nails it. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I think she's great. Uh, but really, we'll get into the meat here. Mads Mickelson as the Um He's great. Oh yeah. I don't I don't really know what else to say other than he's great. Like,
1: uh, he totally nails the desperate villain because that's really what he is. He's not the head of an organization. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have all the resources at his disposal. He's just desperate. And Bond is slowly pushing him to be more and more desperate. And Mm -hmm. I think it really, he does a great job of being both, I don't know how do I put this. He's weak on one end, but he's also still menacing. He maintains being menacing and feeling like a threat and feeling almost not as much as green in the next one, at toward the end, I guess. Um, but Mads, there's there's this like almost loose cannon thing as it gets closer to the end, where he's just like, "All right, dude, I'm just you, you got to tell me this thing, just whatever I have to do. I'm gonna, you know, gonna okay, you're, not, you're not gonna tell me the thing. Okay, I'm just gonna kick you over. I'm gonna pull out a knife and we're gonna do this because you know, I need this money. It's just more and more desperate." um mm-hmm. and he really does a great job of of conveying that
0: yeah and i i really like how he manages to kind of keep like his cool in the moments where he should be under pressure until it becomes like near the end of the movie like the entire movie i feel like he he feels like he has the whole thing under control or at the very least he's presenting as he has the whole thing under control Until you get towards the end of the movie Where he becomes more and more desperate yeah. And like you can see it in his performance You can see it written all over his face Um I Yeah I think he's great in this movie Uh The next one I guess Is Ava Green as Vesper Lind What a fucking smoke show Right Goodness yeah.
1: oh, Great actress too But
0: man she is quite uh quite good looking um and she is fantastic in this uh i weirdly don't know her from a lot um yeah a lot outside of of, a lot of what she's done uh,
1: I, i i'm familiar with it it's just not the kind of stuff i would watch
0: yeah, like I, I know her from Penny Dreadful, uh, yeah. which is, a, I think, a really great series. Uh, and she was in a couple of um, Tim Burton movies. Miss Peregrine's whatever. Uh, yeah, something. Miss Peregrine's Home for Something Children. Yeah. Um, and she was in Dark Shadows, which is, I really think, underrated. I think that movie's really funny. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know her from a whole lot uh, other than this, which is weird because um, she's a very prolific actress like she's got a very long career uh, going back to like the early 2000s Yeah.
1: Um, uh, she was in uh, now I'm looking at it let's see here she was in uh, 300 the sequel she was in yeah, Rise of an
0: Empire Sin City she,
1: yep. uh, Dumbo oh <laughs> lord I didn't <laughs> you know that movie everybody saw
0: yeah yeah
1: uh, uh, it's funny, I was watching an interview with her the other day where she said that, like, she's pretty normal, but she doesn't know why, but she gets cast in, like, weird roles, like, you know, the Penny Dreadful or, like, kind of darker roles, and she thinks it's just because mm-hmm. of her hair, like, she's, she's a normal person, but she gets cast in kind of these whatever things, so she said even with, like, Casino Royale, she almost turned it down because... She was like, I don't know if they just want me to be in a bikini, like be a bond. I don't know what this is. Like, why would I why would they cast me for that? I'm not, why, you know, and then she read the script and was like, oh, OK. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. I, don't and know. I, I think I think the script does a lot of the heavy lifting for sure with with her character, mm. um, because it it is deeper than the normal Bond girl. But like, I feel like she brings this like playfulness to the role mm. that I don't think necessarily would have been there. With maybe uh, I like I saw that Olivia Wilde was in the running for this um, and there were a couple of others uh, that I read um, were in the running for for the role. And I feel like she's. She's perfect for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the depth of the character, when you know all the motivations, when you know what all she's balancing between MI6 and between what's going on with Quantum and her boyfriend and her relationship with Bond and all these things she's balancing, when you know all that's at play and you go back and watch it, there's it's a lot is in the performance. Um, yeah. And the other thing I would mention is that, I mean, gosh darn it, her death scene is the most haunting expression I've ever seen. Yeah. On someone's face Just that Gasping for air Like the, you see it in her eyes It's just It's horrifying
0: yeah. yeah She's She's exceptionally Exceptionally Well cast Um Yeah so I've got it pulled up right now They they looked at Angelina Jolie Charlize Theron Olivia Wilde Um Audrey I, I always forget how to say this T- Tattoo Tatau? Tattoo Tattoo Yeah Oh shoot um, that,
1: Go ahead. I've only seen her anomaly. That's I. Oh, really? That's a weird that's... choice. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't know that. I couldn't, I can't. Yeah. I'm just picturing now Amelie in this role. And I'm like, oh, that's. Yeah. She, a she
0: actually the was considered, but, um, she was filming the Da Vinci code at the same time. So she couldn't. Oh, no. Uh, do both. But yeah, uh, I, I mean, I look at those other, uh, potential choices and, I almost, again, I feel like they would have played her far too... I don't want to say seriously, but, like, it it would have been a different feel. I think that Eva Green does a a really nice job in bringing, like, a warmth Mm. to the character, but also, like, underneath you can see, like, there's this weird disconnect between what she's doing and what the plot is doing. Well, if that it, makes it, sense.
1: It works because so much of the film relies on like in the story, obviously Bond is falling for her and Bond is trusting her, but also you as the audience, you kind of have to fall in love with her and you have to trust her for the, the, the setups and the payoffs to work. And so I think that's what, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe a lesser actress, I don't think could have brought the audience in as much to trust her, to trust the character so much. And I think most people watching Casino Royale, as they're watching it, they're, you know, I don't know how to phrase this better, but like the audience is falling in love with her as Bond is because she's just so charismatic and so just awesome in the role that it it really draws you in. So when that betrayal hits at the end, it stings you like it stings Bond because you've been trusting her. This You want to see them have this happy ending, even though it's a Bond film, Uh, you know.
0: And that's all in her performance. It's all on her. So, yeah, a hundred percent agreed. Um, well, I mean, the, the real showstopper here, the, the one we all came to talk about is Daniel Craig as James Bond. Um, he's good. He's all right. Yeah. I, I, he's my note for him is he is just so charismatic uh, like, I am drawn to him in every scene that he's in. Like, he's just... I, I don't know. I, he just has such charisma and a draw to him, and it's... I don't know. And he
1: can turn it on on a dime, too. So, like, he'll go from... Like, at the, at the, at the resort, he'll go from just surveilling the place to crashing this guy's car to going into the surveillance room and doing all his job, Right. And then he'll go right out to the front desk and be the most charming guy ever. It's like I, I you know, could you give me the car of, uh, you know, I saw this car and I'd love to talk to the owner. Could you give? Me? And he's just totally it's total charisma between him and the the woman there. Like all through the film, he's able to just turn on from serious mode to he's flirting to he's playing poker and being very you know uh, focused there. Like he's totally able to convey exactly what the situation calls for in a way that Bond has to do. He has to switch between these different modes. Uh, or like you see him, you know, the stairwell fight. He does that. He goes from that. He changes his shirt. He goes back, plays poker, comes back, and then comforts Vesper. And he's able to perfectly convey all of that. <laughs> it's it's to, yeah. it, it works. It's not, you know, some of the Bond actors, like, they do some scenes and you're like, eh, okay, just stick to the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. He's just nailing all yeah. of it
0: yeah i mean from top to bottom i think he's he's really fantastic and i i think that there's like a, a nice little uh like mirroring between his performance and the performance of mads mickelson where uh i feel like mads mickelson's character is able to kind of show a uh i don't want to say desperation but like a um uh, what's the word I, that I'm looking for? He he's able to hide his emotions, and then Craig kind of does the same thing on the opposite end of yep. the spectrum, where like he is basically emotionless the entire time. But like towards the end of the movie, you definitely get get to see like the emotions start to like creep in in his face, yeah, and his expressions. And uh, Daniel Craig just does such a Utterly fantastic job mm-hmm. Absolutely um, But with that said I think I think that that's probably it for Casino Royale um, Do you I mean We'll get into our I guess final thoughts uh, And then we'll we'll give uh, Like a, a rating Like a I don't know a scale of like One to five Um all right. uh, on a, a scale of, uh, suit, of suit ties a 001 to 007 what uh... <laughs> um, yeah uh, so I mean I think this movie is fantastic um, I I think that uh, it really does a lot of very good stuff with only a few minor gripes I think uh, I I think this movie's very good um, it's a hell of a lot of fun uh, I think that in regards to like where it sits in the franchise I I think it's gotta be near the top for me uh, which is I, I think probably heresy for a lot of like older fans but like I think that Craig is significantly better than most of the Bonds and I would actually include Like Sean Connery in that Mm -hmm. Um, which is again probably heresy for a lot of people but uh, I think that he brings a lot to the role and the movie itself really humanized Bond in a way that a lot of the other movies don't and that really works for me and uh, I think the movie as a whole is, is every bit worth your time as uh as it should be. Um I guess if we're doing the 007 rating, I'd probably put it somewhere in the neighborhood of probably, let me see. Um probably in the neighborhood of 006 Going for Alex Trevelyan. Yeah. Goldman. Yeah, Pro- probably a uh, z- double oh six out of double (laughs) oh seven is where I would put it
1: uh one big old Sean Bean um uh yeah I know I'm probably right there I I don't know like I can't think of much that's wrong with it but for some reason like a 10 out of 10 or a double oh seven it doesn't I don't know why like I guess in the context of Bond films 100% yeah it's like one of the best I would put it top three um and really, I, I I don't think that's that controversial of a take. I mean, if you're a fan of the novels, it sticks, it's pretty faithful to the material it does use from the book, um, which is like a third of the film. Uh, it's pretty faithful to that. I mean, if, if you like the characterization of Bond in the novels, Craig is like, it's the closest we've ever gotten to seeing on screen what the Fleming Bond was. Um mm-hmm. As a story, it's it's great. It works on so many levels. There's depth to it. Like, you can actually go back and rewatch it and get more and and understand it more and kind of parse out motivations of characters and things like that. It's just, it's such a great time. And even if you don't want to do all that, it's just a fun time. It's still a fun ride. Um, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd probably get it like a, a, a 006.5, a 006.5.
0: Uh, Okay, well, uh, that's Casino Royale out of the way. Um, So now we should probably go ahead and talk about the 2008 Quantum of Solace, um, written by the same exact uh, people, Paul Haggis, Neil Purvis, and Robert Wade. Um, So one thing for sure that definitely played in this and we talked about it at the beginning was... The Writer's Guild uh, having an effect on this movie. Uh, The Writer's Guild strike happened in, uh, I believe it was like 2007, near the end of 2007. Um, And um, that. Yeah, there it is. Sorry. November uh, 5th of 2007. So that definitely had a, a, an effect on the way that the the plot was shaped hmm. for this movie, um, but uh, I don't know. I feel like this one has a. I, I feel like you know you pointed out that the um, the plot to Casino Royale was a little bit on the. Um, uh, complicated, more nonsensical side from, like, the villain's perspective. I really don't understand what the fuck is going on here.
1: So, okay, Casino Royale wouldn't say it's nonsense. I just think it's not immediately apparent. This one, I would say the same thing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually, I, I really like what they were doing here, and I think it's a situation where you have to realize... <clears throat> this is a movie where they were like, you kind of have to put aside what you expect a bond film to be and re- look at what they were doing, like why they were doing these things. And mm-hmm. I think they were really successful. <clears throat> and I think it's worth noting that the overall plot of this film is James Bond trying to figure out who quantum is. So Camille and bond are both going after Dominic green, but their goal is not Dominic green. Their goal is somebody he knows, uh, with, Camille going after uh, Madrano, General Madrano, and Bond mm-hmm. is going after the guy who was, uh, you know, pulling the strings on with Vesper. So the actual plot there, the whole Bolivian water thing, I think it works mm-hmm. really well at showing you who Quantum is. But that's not, like a lot of people said, what is this Bolivian water thing like? Bond's supposed to save the world. What is this? When I think what it was trying to communicate was that quantum is in everything, even things you don't care about, even things we don't care about. Quantum is everywhere. Quantum is is has their paws in everything. And we, Mm -hmm. you know, and it it drives through the film that we didn't even know these people existed a couple weeks ago. And now we're finding out that they're they're literally in the room with us (laughs) like they're everywhere. And so I think you have to look at it from the perspective of a bond is going after to try to figure out who quantum is not Bond is trying to save the world. Mm -hmm. So the plot itself, Green's plot and what all that's going on with the, the putting in Medrano and all that stuff, it's all solid. It's all, it's all in there. It's just, that's not what is driving Bond. So it can be, it can feel a little confusing when you walk out and be like, the people didn't have water. Like what? Huh? (laughs) What? (laughs) What? And the CIA is like, huh? What?
0: But yeah, I I think my my big takeaway is I I think that the plot for. Well, I think that the themes in this movie kind of override the plot a little bit. I think that the plot. uh, I don't know. I I kind of. hmm, I'm trying to think of the way that I want to phrase this. I think that the plot for this with regards to what is going on with um, Dominic Green mm-hmm. uh, is like it almost it, it kind of in a way echoes what I was saying about the, the first half versus the second half of Casino Royale, but in a completely different way. I feel like the plot for Dominic is completely separate from the plot for Bond. And I feel like they get tangled up a little bit and at the end they kind of come together. But as a whole, I kind of think that it – I feel like the writing behind this one feels better when you think about it on not as what's happening in the story but as like what it's trying to communicate. Right. Which I think – you touched on it a lot with the Casino Royale. I, I think that this one is again about trust, uh, but it's also, I think, I mean, what you pointed out rightfully in your Instagram post, right. it also communicates, you know, the cycle of violence and like kind of overcoming that. Yeah. Um, and I think those are the two big things that I think that I take away from the movie, as opposed to anything that has to do with the fucking Nicaraguan water supply Bolivian. or oil. Oh, sorry, Bolivian. Bolivian. Yeah. Uh,
1: no, um. Again, I think I think it's important. All that the Bolivian stuff and Dominic Green is is important in building Quantum, which, for a little background here, um. So the original big bad in. Bond movies was Spectre and Blofeld. It's the classic Mm -hmm. villain and that's the classic evil organization. Uh, How do I condense this? So before Dr. No, before the original Bond film with Sean Connery, uh, Ian Fleming was trying to develop a movie. And so he brought in this guy named Kevin McClory to who was a screenwriter to develop uh, a story for a film. Uh, that didn't end up going through and then uh, Fleming turned that script into a novel, Thunderball. And in that book, you get Blofeld and Spectre. And so there was, for the following years there was a lawsuit from kevin mcclory who said he came up with those characters and so he has ownership over them and he should be getting part of the money and they're all over the films the characters were so like we've got a you know i'm owed whatever yada yada whole rights dispute eventually in the 70s blofeld was killed off in bond films because they couldn't use them anymore there's a whole that there's a whole like sean connery was in a competing bond film because kevin mcclory tried to readapt thunderball to make money to compete with Bond. it was a whole thing Anyways, after years and years of not having a big bad, they came up with quantum. And so they were trying to develop this underground criminal organization that was basically Spectre. And then, of course, they got the rights back to Spectre. And so now quantum is just part of Spectre. and It's the whole it's dumb. But so in this movie, they're trying to show you how bad quantum is and how they work. And they're in the shadows and they're in everywhere. I think, you know, the intro title sequence with Bond shooting the sand, it's a little dumb, but it, it makes the point that it's this constant moving target. You don't know where they are. You don't know what they're doing. And again, to the CIA, looking at the stuff in the film, it's just it's just dictators rising and falling. We're just going to make sure we're involved. So we have some control. Um, but then you have Quantum that's really pulling the strings And they're controlling the water because they want to control the dictator so that they have control of the country. And any oil that comes out of it, now they have control over it. And they're doing that all over the world. And so I think it's great because in a film where they could have just focused on Bond's story and kind of neglected that, they still managed to write a solid uh, thing there, a solid plot to show you who quantum is as bond is learning who quantum is. And as he's trying to get to the bottom of it, even though the main focus is of course on bond and his, you know, his search for revenge and all that. Mm -hmm. So again, I think it's kind of like casino where at first glance you might be a little bit like, I don't know what's quite going on here, but the more times I see it, the more detail it's almost, this is going to sound, I don't know. This is maybe a weird comparison, but it's kind of like inception. (laughs) where you see Inception and you get it, but you probably don't quite get it. But then for me, the more I go back and watch Inception, I hear another line of dialogue that makes me go, oh, okay, so that's how that thing works. And it's like, it's all thought through. It's all there. It just Mm -hmm. may not be quite as digestible on the first view at first glance.
0: Yeah. Um... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know that. That I particularly agree with that, but uh, but I see your point. Yeah, I, I definitely see your point. Um, especially with like the whole Spectre, or well, I guess it's not Spectre. It's Quantum. Quantum in this, but um, yeah. So um, actually, hang on. With Spectre, with like the the movie Spectre, it actually turns out that Quantum was a part of Spectre they,
1: right? They got the rights back and wanted to do Blofeld again and so they, they went full stupid with it uh, and yeah. they are like okay, well yeah. Quantum was really Spectre and it was really Blofeld pulling the strings and by the way Blofeld is Bond's brother now for some reason and it's like, it's like calm dumb. down stop Yeah, <laughs> I thought they were something really cool with Quantum and then they just were like no we gotta bring back the old thing cause we can now so I don't know uh, yeah I don't know but while we're talking about uh, the the themes and all this thing, one thing I did want to mention was um, the original book, the original short story. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Uh, Ian Fleming wrote, it's a, it's a book called For Your Eyes Only, and it's a collection of like five or six short stories, just little, little Bond stories that weren't going to be full novels. And Quantum of Solace is actually, on the surface, it sounds really boring because it's just Bond at a dinner party talking to some some head of state or something, some diplomat. And that's the whole story. But what the guy is talking to him about is basically his theory about the quantum of solace, which Mm -hmm. quantum being a minuscule type of measurement, uh, you know, whatever, and solace being, you know, peace. Mm -hmm. And so it's the smallest amount of peace. It's the smallest amount of hope you can find in something. And the point of the story is that in a relationship Uh, As a relationship starts to deteriorate, what's there, the comfort in the relationship gets smaller and smaller. But as long as there's that quantum of solace, there's still there's still something to be found in it. But once that goes away, the humanity is gone from the relationship and the things you might have done. Things you might have never considered doing in a relationship once that quantum of solace is gone once there's a total disconnect between two people you find yourself willing to do things to that person that you never would have considered you you people become cruel to each other and that's what the story is about so that's why i think it's also you know the, the title is clever a lot of people dismiss it cuz it sound it's confusing or something um yeah. but it's quantum obviously that's a little on the nose um but it the, the movie is about bond searching for Revenge, but also Bond searching for peace. He's trying to find a little bit of something to grab back onto after Vesper betrayed him, and Mm -hmm. that's really the overarching theme of the movie. Um, Yeah, is is him trying to find that little bit of peace to to put that to bed, to put it to rest, and let and and move on with his life. Yeah, which he thinks is going to be revenge, and then it turns out not to be. That's not what it is. But it's more forgiveness than revenge.
0: Yeah, exactly. That that's actually something that I was going to bring up. I, I think is weirdly kind of echoed in um, Camille's story where yep. she actually goes through with the the um, the revenge part, yep. and it doesn't actually get rid of of the you know the pain. Yeah, yeah, and and I really think that that sequence with her. And uh, Bond coming to like free her at the end when they're trapped in the you know the fiery room. I think that that little sequence between the two of them really really works. Uh, I I think Olga Korolenko is fantastic in that scene. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. But uh, but yeah, I I really I think that this movie works because of the fact that it does carry over from what happens in Casino Royale and it does carry that plot line through to to tell a, a very thematically rich story
1: and one thing talking about Camille the one thing I really appreciate about this film or one of the things is um they're very subtle with her character and that all the breadcrumbs are there you can piece together what happened but they, mm-hmm. but they never throw it in your face So like when you first, there's a shot of her walking up to talk to Dominic toward the beginning at the docks and you see a big scar on her back. It's never addressed. Mm -hmm. They never bring attention to it. It's just you see it in the shot as she's walking Mm -hmm. because she's wearing like a a tank top or something and you can see the scar on her back. And then later you find out her parents died in a fire and she barely escaped. So Mm -hmm. if you're paying attention, you put those two together. And then... Uh, at the end there when she's sitting in that room a lot of people thought it was dumb they thought why why didn't she run out of the room and it's because they weren't paying attention to the fact that when she was a child her family died and then she was traumatized by this fire and now she's surrounded by fire and if you, you know you can hear her saying not like this not like this like she's just just totally caught up in the trauma of all that coming up and I think it's, it's she, her performance does great with it and communicates it but it's, I, I love it when a movie trusts you to pay attention, to not just like make a really big deal with the foreshadowing and like all that stuff and be like, oh, she's really afraid of fire, huh? You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's all there and as you're watching, you can pick up on these things in her character and in her performance, but it's not mm-hmm. heavy handed. It's, it's, it's allowed to be subtle and allowed to just be part of the character and I really appreciated that with the writing for her.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, so let's, uh, I guess, move on to to the directing, because I think I, I think the the writing in this movie is is at, at the very least, it's fine. And I, w- I would go so far as to say that it's good with the exception of, like I said, I have problems with the plot. But um, I think where this movie kind of. Mrs. DeMark is in some of the uh more prominent like filmmaking stuff. Uh Mark Forrester was hired to direct this, um and he's a German Swiss filmmaker with I when I looked into this I was kinda surprised. Uh he is got a really solid string of movies up until Quantum of solace and even some afterwards. Um, monsters ball in 2001 uh which uh i think halle berry won the oscar for her performance uh finding neverland in 2004 which he actually got nominated for a bunch of golden globes and Baftas for this uh he did stranger in fiction uh stranger than fiction in 2006 which is a really great will ferrell movie uh and the kite runner in 2007 which again is another really great movie and then He did uh, Quantum of Solace following us up. Um, I think that he does a fairly good job at differentiating this movie from Casino Royale while still making it feel like it's in the same universe, if that makes sense. Hmm. Uh, Maybe there's a better way to phrase that. But like. It still feels like it's an extension of that first movie while also feeling different. Like, I feel like this feels like an action movie, whereas the first one feels more like a spy thriller, if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Um, There was a lot of criticism when the film came out, and a lot of it was kind of pegged on. He does smaller films. He's not used to directing big action Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously a lot of people have trouble with the the shaky cam style and like the opening car chase is often thrown out there as like, what the hell is going on? Like there's so many close up of like the wheel or, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: or the,
1: here's <laughs> yeah. the headlight and now this is crashing. This is where I said, I think at the beginning I said, I might sound a little pretentious. I think that um, I think what he was going for, is using the visual, uh, using the visual language to communicate Bond's state of mind, mm-hmm. which is, or, or, or maybe he was just chasing trans, I don't know. But I think if you kind of look at how things are shot, like, okay, where's bond at the beginning of the film? He was just betrayed by the woman he loves. He just arrested a guy that he doesn't know who he is. He just, it was just a clue left behind by Vesper. Uh, he's now being chased by all the security and he's trying to get this guy to MI6, like, it's chaos, he's in tatters right now, and so, like, I think maybe it's trying to represent that through the cinematography, which is an argument you can make one way or the other of, okay, if film is a visual medium, and you can express ideas in a way that you couldn't on the page, right, mm-hmm. then is that the way you go about things or should your priority be making sure everything is completely clear as to what's going on? Like if bonds in a state of confusion and you use the editing and the the cinematography to communicate a state of confusion, is that more important than knowing what the hell is actually happening in each second of the chase? Like actually Mm -hmm. being able to see where everything is and how they're interacting and I think you can make an argument one way or the other I think clearly the audience would have preferred the other way from what they did um, mm-hmm. I've kind of come around on it and it's interesting to me because like some scenes like the the car chase is hard to tell what's going on but then like later the apartment fight yeah. it's, it's every it's so it's so solid like you can you can follow it there's continuity from shot to shot like you can totally tell what's going on it's chaotic but you can follow it it's great um, which I think that was kind of their attempt at the, uh, uh, well, uh, that was the same year as Born Ultimatum. Yeah, I believe Cause that's Because there's right. there's the the Tangiers fight between Born and Tesh or Desh or whatever his name was. Why do mm-hmm. I know these names? Um, and then but but there's the apartment fight. I, I still remember if you go back to 2002, right? There's Die Another Day with all its goofy shit. And then you <laughs> just show somebody the apartment fight from Born Identity, where where like Bond, or Born just picks up a pen and is fighting with a pen, and it's so gritty and just raw, this impulsive fight. And I think that's kind of what they were going for here. But it's shot really well. And then you go to other mm-hmm. se- sequences in the action, and it's like I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what any of this is. And then you go to others. It's it's so it kind of goes back and forth. But so it's hard for me to tell if it was a stylistic choice to communicate ideas or if it's the guy who wasn't experienced in that kind of thing.
0: Kind of. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, so I think, all right, I'm, I'm looking through my notes for this right now. And, uh, the, the very first note that I have right here is, it's see or it picks up seemingly immediately after the first film and the difference in filmmaking style is drastic and immedi- immediately noticeable
1: i will say um, it, it pulls a it pulls a fast one on the audience because that first shot is so gorgeous of just the mount, yeah. the mountainside and it's so open and wide and you're like yeah and then it just it cuts into a quick shot of the headlight or something it's like yeah, okay yeah. that's that's interesting and then as the chase and, goes on it's more and more just like whoa what the fuck is what <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so my my big takeaway from all the notes like I I'm reading through my notes right now and my big takeaway is I think that this movie was shot really well. I think that there's a lot of really nice looking shots. I think that like there's some really cool stuff that they do with the CGI that's very minimal in this one. Yeah. And I think that there are some really like i love the color in this movie uh like i feel like casino royale was like like you said piss washed and i feel like this one has more pops of color to it mm. while still kind of maintaining that that grounded sort of like mm. color palette if that it's, makes sense it's
1: strange because anything they shoot in the desert you think it's the desert but they're all it's all beautiful
0: like, yeah, <laughs> like all those locations yeah. are just gorgeous on screen M- I think my my only complaint with the with the direction that the movie takes is towards the end. I do feel like everything kind of starts to look the same because it's all very it's all brown and yeah. orange and yeah, deserty. Uh, but I mean, I, that's it's the location. Kind of an uh, yeah, that's the that's the location. You can, there's not much you can do about that. Um, and there is one shot that I think was. Uh, I mean. Uh, the panty shot at the end with the the with the general when he's about to rape the girl. I thought that that, that shot in particular that was, was kind of gross and unnecessary. It
1: stands out. It's weird. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why. It, it feels like they they forgot to cut something, or I don't. It feels like a weird lingering on that. I don't know. Unless yeah. the only thing I, I can think is maybe they didn't think the audience would know what he w- they thought maybe he's, maybe people will think he's gonna kill her not rape her we wanted to be clear he's gonna rape her so i don't i don't know <laughs> like i don't know exactly yeah. what they were going for there that's i think that's that, a shot that everybody in the theater kind of went oh uh huh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all right yeah
0: i i i don't i don't know man i that's the one the one thing in the movie, uh, from a directorial standpoint, that I was like, I don't know about this. This is that's weird. How, how, many, like, how that's, many
1: shots do you think they took of that? Okay, we're just gonna focus on your crotch here, real quick. Can you just uh, yeah, flail like, your legs a bit?
0: <laughs> it's a so it's a weird shot. It's it's super weird, and I, I one you, you know you brought up the maybe it was um, a weird thing to like not have edited out and. The I mean, if you were to read my notes, the one thing I keep pointing out in here is the editing. And so there were two things uh, there were actually two editors on this, Matt Chese and uh, Richard Pearson. And I kind of wonder if I kind of wonder if one person was fired because they were doing such a bad job. Because I think the reason that this movie isn't brought up in the same conversation as like Skyfall and Casino Royale is Mm -hmm. I think the editing in this movie is fucking awful like really 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 bad and it's not even in just the, the action sequences that are really fucking terrible um but I just there are there are shots that kind of like I'm like why would you put this in there It it makes no reason like makes no sense for you to have this shot in there in particular when you could have done like uh, the the sequence when he's going to the opera, when Bond is going to the opera. Right. There's several shots that I noticed where you could have just followed behind Bond, but like they made a point to to cut up him going into a door with like a shot from like the people in the foyer. And I was like, why, like, what are you doing? Why is this in there? That this does not need to be in there at all. The only thing I can think for that. And I was thinking about it is
1: because a lot of the people they're showing are, they're picking up the bags that have all the quantum stuff. So they're showing Mm, that all these people are just blending into the crowd. Uh, and you don't know who's Mm. who. Um, so it could be going for that. Um, the one, I think originally when I watched it, the one in the opera that stood out to me was when he's getting chased and they keep cutting back to the opera. Um, yeah. Which and, is a little... I, th- I, I've watched a video on this and apparently that opera is actually very reminiscent of Bond's... The story is similar to what Bond's going through, the betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't know opera, then you're just like, why do they keep cutting back to this giant-ass eye? Like, what is <laughs> what is happening? Like, <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's there are some weird choices in this. Um, I think over over the years, I I, I really do. I, I don't think I've hidden. I I fucking love this movie. Um, so I've I've. It's not that I justify it. It's just like a lot of the action sequences. I've just gotten used to. I guess, and and I've seen them enough mm-hmm. times that I can figure out what's going on, and I like watching them. Uh, but it's it, they definitely made some choices. Uh, With this, yeah, and and whether or not it panned out is going to be up to whoever's watching. Um,
0: yeah, I I 100% agree with that. I will say that
1: the one shot in the film that does not work for me, apart from the, the panty shot, uh, the one shot that takes me out of the film more than anything is the parachute where it's like oh yeah maybe that maybe that's possible maybe you can pull a parachute at the last second and survive I don't know but the way it's filmed makes me think they're dead (laughs) yeah yeah no way uh that one shot takes me out but that's not the cinematography or anything that's just I don't that's the framing or the effect or the the stunt they chose to do I don't know um
0: yeah that's I I I totally every
1: time I see that shot I'm just like no no they're dead
0: they, yeah, they're, <laughs> um, even, even that to an extent, I, I feel like is, uh, possibly a problem with editing. Uh, like, I feel like you could have, t- yeah, you could have cut it together to hide, to, to sort of mask some of that. Yeah. But So I don't know. I, if, if I have one. Gripe with this movie is that I, I really do think that it is just edited terribly. Um, it's not as bad as like Bohemian Rhapsody, which is just oh, uh, that's a master. Like I've seen, I've seen the video of the guy breaking it down. Yes, yeah, people who want to be editors should watch that movie so that then they know not wh- like what not to do because that movie is
1: horrible. What's funny about it I, is that. Uh, there, there's a guy who made like a 30-minute breakdown of why the editing in Bohemian Rhapsody* is so bad, and then I think he actually did a follow-up where the editor came on to to talk about it. <laughs> it's like, oh wow, that's bold. Um, and they <laughs> kind of had a back and forth about some stuff, but uh, no, I mean, again, maybe I've just seen it enough times, and I think this is this is something that people have talked about with, with this film and the cinematography itself is that because Mark Forster is used to directing smaller films he's not thinking so much about sitting back in a theater and watching these big action scenes unfold that's just not what the way he thinks and I think that can kind of be what it is with editing a, a trap is that or any really storytelling is that if you're so connected to the plot you forget what the audience knows and doesn't know because mm-hmm. you know everything. So when you're editing it, it all makes sense to you because you know everything. But you're forgetting that you're having to communicate things to the audience. So I can totally get that, like, Quantum of Solace is on, it, on the surface. It's a pretty confusing film for a lot of reasons. The more I watch it, the more I appreciate it, and the more time goes on, I think this film's kind of rising in people's uh, rank who watch a lot of Bond films. They're growing to appreciate it more. But I totally get why it doesn't work for a lot of people. It's it's just, it's it's a weird departure. And, yeah. and that's kind of what I like, because I said earlier that the Fleming novels, each one feels different, like some take totally different perspectives on the character, and, and there, there's some uh, really good stuff in there. But uh, the Bond films kind of have a formula, and they stick to it. And then if you break that formula, people are going to be a lot more apprehensive about it. And in this case, it was broken in a way that made it also confusing to a lot of people. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, well, I, I guess the, the next thing we should probably talk about is the is the um the music. Uh, the score here was done again by David Arnold. Um, Another way to die was the song of the movie performed by Jack White and Alicia Keys. I don't have much to say about the score. Uh, I think that there was one piece that really stood out to me, and it was during the uh, opera sequence. I thought the music there—I I don't know what it was in particular that, that grabbed my attention—but something in that sequence, the music there, I was like, "Oh, I like this. I really like this."
1: Yeah. Well, that's um, that. That
0: is the opera. Oh, that—that that was the music in the opera.
1: I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That that that, oh, okay. that during the chase you're talking about.
0: Uh. N- Maybe uh, I didn't actually write down where in the opera. All I wrote down was in the opera sequence. So what the hell? Sorry. Yeah. Take it no. pause <laughs> 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 Anyways. Um,
1: yeah, no, that's that's. Uh, I do. I, I don't know, for, mostly for the music, I would say it carries on very nicely from Casino Royale. David Arnold has done mm-hmm. several Bond films, uh, so he knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, it's great. Uh I think really the, uh, the biggest problem people have with the music in this movie is the, uh, the, another way to die song. Yep. I, uh, I like this song, but <laughs> I, I, I still to this day, even if I like what it is, uh, I don't know who came up with Alicia Keys and Jack White. Like, what? Like, who thought, like, I could see Alicia (sighs) Keys or Jack White. I don't, it's such a weird choice for the pairing.
0: Yeah, I, um, I, hmm, I don't like this song at all. (laughs) I I feel like, like, it's funny because I like, I like Jack White. Like, I like his music, but there's something, like, I, I'll bring it back to like what I said about the Chris Cornell stuff. I always feel like James Bond is like jazzy and sexy, and I feel like this is just Jack White being Jack White, and it doesn't fit with what I think of as Bond songs.
1: Well, I think they're. I think now that I'm actually thinking about it, I think that may have been the goal with Jack White and Alicia Keys is something mm. to kind of bridge, because if you have I mean Chris Cornell there's no jazz in Chris Cornell it's just a rock song oh yeah for sure <laughs> and then you have Jack White who's doing a rock song but you also have Alicia Keys who's adding that bit of jazz and if you look at the character and where he's at in the first film he's very raw and unrefined and this film mm-hmm. is about him being refined and learning these lessons um which is something we didn't get into but uh it's I don't know I like it it's, it's a weird choice it's I don't know. I, I would probably rank it in the top half of Bond themes maybe. No, well, somewhere in the middle of the pack, but it's uh
0: <laughs> it, yeah, it it's, it's not the worst, but it I It's not
1: it's not a it's not that fucking oh, what's his name? Who did the Spectre song? Uh,
0: oh, Sam Smith. That song. Yeah, that sounds fucking bad. So. Who thought,
1: "Oh, James Bond, let's get the guy whose biggest hit is about crying because his one-night stand didn't go well. That's who we should get for a Bond song." <laughs> <laughs> That's that says Bond to me. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I think there was there was a they were trying to make the Craig era something new and unique and bringing in this rock flavor and and then of clear of course clearly we got Adele the next one so they
0: yeah I don't uh, know if, when when we get to Skyfall we'll definitely talk about that song um.
1: um. But no, I, I like the song. It's kind of take it or leave it. I think the opening titles are really dumb. It's just like they had this idea for like, oh, like like I get it. Like the sand is shifting. It's like quantum. They're just everywhere. They're so granular and just you can't peg them down. You can't stop them and all this. Like I, I get it. But it's literally just women in uh, made of sand and Bond yeah. is there shooting <laughs> yeah. bullets. Like yeah. the bullets look cool with the little spirally thing behind it. Yeah. Oh, it's... it's I, A little aside here, going back to the design, I love the fucking future touchscreen tech they have all over MI6 in this film. That's not in Casino Royale and never shows up again. But in Quantum of Solace, they've got this really cool, like, touchscreen table thing with, like, it's, and his phone has the same UI on it. (laughs) (laughs) They really tried to make that a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. This song's fine. I don't. I get why people don't like it. I don't know. It's kind of. I'm kind of indifferent to it. I like the guitar riff. Yeah. I think it's badass when the when the when uh, Craig opens the trunk and it, he says hey, it's time to go or whatever, and it freeze frames and you get that bow down. I now. I like that riff. Oh yeah, that's pretty good.
0: I'll give you that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I, I. I mean, I guess the final thing we need to get to is the characters and the acting. Uh, I was so taken aback by David Harbour being in this uh, he plays Greg <laughs> Beam which is the CIA guy and I just laughed so hard because I was like what the fuck is Hopper doing in this movie um,
1: uh, yeah it's, it, th- he's one of those that I, he didn't register as anybody to me until I recently went back to watch the film and it was like oh I know this guy now
0: yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, it's, oh it's him and uh, so I, I think he's has a weirdly, like, nice touch to him. I, I feel like he's very charismatic and, like, that role is so small that he doesn't have to go as hard as he does. But I kind of like that he does. Just
1: corrupt government, um, man. I don't know. It doesn't need to be. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's, uh, I mean, it is it is a small role and he does what he what he does with it. So and there's not much to say. But I, the only weird, I did think that it was hilarious that he was in this. The only weird thing out
1: of him, and it, it's like, it's a line that doesn't
0: play. I think as they intended
1: it, but it's when they get off the plane, and Dominic Green goes off to the opera or whatever, and it's, uh, Harbor and Felix. I don't know, uh, what was it? Beam. It's the, yeah, them standing Greg. there, and he just kind of has that line of, like, I need to know you value your career. And then he turns around and gets back on the plane, and it's like, well, that was menacing, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It didn't quite come off like I think they meant for it to. It's just a weird line read. But yeah. next to uh, Jeffrey Wright with all his weird-ass line reads
0: yeah so he, he's the next one he again reprises his role of Felix Leiter from Casino Royale um, I I don't know what was going on in this movie in particular There's, but he feels off
1: he's like way overdoing it like the, the the bit where they throw him they've got the picture of Bond on the whatever the fucking Motorola Razor phone and they throw it at him and he kind of catches it and doesn't break eye contact and slowly looks down at it and I'm sorry friend I don't know who that is and like leans over slowly and kind of glances around the room it's like what the what is this is he high like what is happening right now
0: (laughs) yeah and uh, I mean that even carries over to his his scene with Bond at the end in the near the end in the bar where I I just I don't understand what he's going for what he's doing in this movie um I think I
1: think uh, yeah. sometimes it does work because I think the point is he's not happy with the situation. Like, mm-hmm. I, first of all, I don't think it really makes sense. Like, why the fuck was this guy who was just assigned to go play poker in France now suddenly stationed in, in uh, Bolivia like a week later? I don't yeah, like, yeah. Shit. Like, <laughs> that was fast. Um, but I think the point is he sees the corruption going on and he doesn't have much he can do about it. So he doesn't trust anybody around him. And so he's just kind of going along with it because it's his job, and he doesn't really know what's going on. But he knows something isn't right, and he doesn't like the fact that they're just getting into bed with all these no, you know, dictator overthrow power things. And you know that is relatable to the real world. But like, it's something in the performance is just like lighten up, man. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm I'm right there with you. I I think there's a bunch of. His stuff in particular does does not work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the nec- next up we have... Uh, I, I don't know why I didn't put her near the bottom, but uh, Gemma Arterton as Fields. Her role is so very small. Um, She's like
1: the humor in the movie. <laughs> yeah. She's like... The the scenes with her are so wonderful and... charming. Oh, except for the last one, but they're so wonderful and charming and just... <laughs> And then fucking dark, but, uh, you know, like, I, 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 oh, she's, she's great. I love her in the, in when she's there. And I love the way she goes back and forth with Bond where she's like trying to be in control, but not in control where she's like, Mm -hmm. if you try to resist, I'm going to arrest you. And you're like, no, you're not. How the fuck are you going to stop Bond? Like, (laughs) (laughs) what's your plan here? And then you get the great, the great scene with the, where, where Bond is like, no, we're not staying here. Nope. Mm Mm-mm. Uh, we've just won the lottery. Uh, that's such a great little bit of levity, and then, and then it's that, that's mixed in with like with uh, Matha's trying to deal with the driver who's just talking about his grandmother in Spanish. He's like ranting about that. Oh my god, it's, it's so fantastic. it's such a weird it's such a weird <laughs> bit of comedy that's so good in the middle of the film. It's yeah, it's, that's such a great sequence there. But uh, fun fact about her: if you watch the credits, she never says her name. She just wants to be called Fields, and it's because the mm-hmm. character's name is Strawberry Fields.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. If yeah. you
1: watch the credits, her name is Strawberry Fields. So,
0: yeah, I, I noticed that. I I just wrote down Fields because that's what she's referred to as the entire movie. But yeah, Strawberry
1: Fields. Fun little bit there. Um, um, I think she's great. She. It's not much, but I think she plays it. It's fun.
0: I like the yeah. character. Uh, is there anything that uh, you think needs to be talked about with regards to her death? Because I remember when I watched this movie the first time that I was kind of like, why did she have to die? Uh, but then it, I mean, like now I'm like, I mean, not only is it a Bond trope that you know the Bond girl dies, but like also like I think this pays kind of like real fun homage to Goldfinger with the with the woman dipped in gold, except yep. here it's oil. Yeah. Uh, um, well,
1: she died obviously because she helped Bond. It was a it was yeah, a, it exactly, was a message yeah. to Bond, but she also tripped that dude and whatever. Like, so it was just pure petty revenge on Green's yeah. part. Um, but. It's just another. Again, going back to the themes of the film, the there's this idea that Bond has to be aware of more than just the mission. There's Mm -hmm. there's um, there's some shots that people think are weird, where like he's chasing the guy in the beginning, and he goes through. They go through that horse race, right? Yeah. And the guy starts firing shots, and I think a couple of the 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 crowd gets hit, Mm -hmm. and then. As he's chasing him through the buildings, they're running up the stairs and the woman gets knocked and drops her food down the thing. And it's, it, they feel weird and kind of out of place, but it's building this thing that Bond, ha- there's more going on. Bond has to pay attention. The, he, he can't just be so single minded on the mission that he's losing sight of all the innocent people in the way. And that's a theme that carries from Casino Royale with um, uh, Solange is the wife of. Uh, What's his face? Who gets killed in the hammock and all that? Uh, Mm -hmm. It carries all the way through where there are people that Bond is leaving behind a trail of bodies. And it gets to the point in Quantum of Solace where they can't even trust that Bond isn't the one just directly killing these people. Like they don't even know if they could, they think Bond's just a loose cannon who's just murdering people at the drop of a hat because every time he goes after someone to get information, they end up dead. And I think this is a point of kind of reckoning for Bond because it's it's an isolated thing of, okay, he just manipulated her. It's it's just a repeat of what happened in Casino Royale. He's manipulated this woman to get on her good side so he can go do the mission, and then she ends up dead. Mm-hmm. And you can tell in Craig's performance that kind of hurts him a bit. Like, he, he was mm-hmm. actually concerned about her. He didn't want her to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just kind of the last straw of for him of these people keep getting hurt around me and he's got to start focusing on more than just single-mindedly finishing the mission. He's got to pay attention to the extraneous stuff that's equally important in a lot of ways. And that's why I think her death really works is because it's just the kind of a moment of reckoning for him where he finally has to just face up to the fact that he's got to do better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh I, I agree with that. And we'll I mean, we'll touch on some of that when we get to uh, Daniel Craig. But uh, Giancarlo Giannini uh, re- reprised his role of uh, Rennie mm-hmm. in this uh, Mathis. And um, I the only real note I have, I, I loved him in both movies. But uh, the only real note I had about in this one is that his death in this got me weirdly emotional. Um, which was something that I totally was not expecting to happen, uh, like, at all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I I mean, like I said, that's the only real note I had. Uh,
1: That's such a great scene. Um, It's it's great, because, again, when you're looking at at Bond's path from revenge to forgiveness, uh, Mm -hmm. well, he's getting, he wants to get revenge on the people who manipulated Vesper and he ends up forgiving Vesper herself which gives him the the peace and the control to do the right thing and bring the guy Mm -hmm. in at the end and not kill him but I think he sees this in Mathis where in Casino Royale he thought Mathis was the double and so he gets him Mm -hmm. he, he puts Mathis through hell after this right and it turns out it was Vesper and so now when he shows up and he asks for Mathis's help there's this great thing of Mathis has forgiven him. He understands why he did what he did. And at the end, as he's dying, he says, you know, how about we forgive each other? You know, it's, 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 this, it's this little bit to push bond to realize that forgiveness can be just as important as anything else in this, in this quest of his. Um, and so that death is, it's meaningful to bond. And it also is a great, you know, where it, 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 it it takes what has been established in these movies now where bond is very cold and uncaring. Mm -hmm. And it only looks like that on the surface where I think it's right. Then Camille says, so is this just what happens to your friends? Is this just, you know what you dump them in the trash, dump them in the trash, which what bond is doing, he's not uncompassionate. He feels for Mathis, but he's got to stage it now. And at the end of the day, Mathis is dead. He's staging it to look like a robbery Mm -hmm. gone wrong. And the police showed up and whatever. Um, He's doing the job. He's not uncaring, though. And I think that's important, Mm -hmm. especially it ties into Bond's last line of the movie where he tells him, I never left. He's not ever just a rogue agent that's totally blinded by whatever. There's always control. There's always something there holding him in focus. And I think it's kind of put into perspective in Mathis' death scene, which wouldn't work if, if like you said if, if watching him die wasn't so it didn't sting yeah and and it's great yeah. because you get to see Mathis at home in
0: the beginning and he's got a happy yeah. life he
1: doesn't have to go help Bond
0: yeah and, I, I love that sequence Yeah. Um, next up we got Judy Dench as M uh, there's less for her to do in this movie I feel like even though I think she has more screen time in this one mm. Uh, but I don't have much more to say than what I said in Casino Royale. She's great. Uh,
1: yeah, she's great. And and she really does a great job of communicating that undercurrent of, okay, I don't understand what Bond is doing, but I think I trust him. But I don't mm-hmm. know why he's doing these things. But I, now, okay, now I've got the PM on me. I've got I've to answer to this somehow. I've got to take action because I don't know but at the end when you know there's that great elevator fight and Bond escapes and then he goes back to M because he wants to you know he doesn't want to just break loose and go he wants to be able to communicate to M I know what I'm doing you need to trust me and then immediately she's like okay I trust you right she 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 realizes Bond is onto something and he needs to be trusted and you know that works because of her um It actually felt really comparable to a scene in uh, you. You said you like License to Kill, right? You've seen that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a scene where Bond goes rogue in there and Bond goes rogue in like half these movies. But uh, (laughs) there's there's a good scene in there where uh, Bond is like because he wants to go after Felix and M comes to get him is like you cannot you you can't go chasing off some Colombian drug dealer. That's not your mission. You were on vacation. You need to come back to work. Yeah. and so he resigns, and M is like, "Oh, this isn't a country club. You can't just resign." And then Bond escapes. He gets shot at by some of the MI6 agents that are that are overseeing the whole thing, and he escapes. But then you see M kind of trusts him. He kind of like, "Okay, well, he, he's going to do what he needs to do. He's clearly got a reason for going for this." And that's that feels like a similar scene to what's happening in quantum and that all rests on judy dench and she has to be able to communicate this 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 do i trust him or do i not trust him and and kind of the the layer the layers of that
0: for sure yeah um uh the next one i had written down was uh god i hope i'm go for it butchering this Uh uh-huh go for it oh okay uh Anatole Topman Topman as Elvis <laughs> I can pronounce that as, one as Elvis Yeah, yeah. I can do Elvis. Uh, So I I wrote this guy down for uh, A number of reasons one because He's in a lot of the movie But uh, Two I loved <laughs> I loved his haircut <laughs> He's this uh, he's got this Bowl cut the entire movie um, And And I don't know. He just cracks me up. He's he's kind of uh, goofy. I love it. And I feel like a a lot of the uh, the comedy that I see in this movie comes from him. Well, I love it because you're it's so clearly a ridiculous haircut. Yeah,
1: (laughs) And and I always forget. I always forget. And every time I'm watching it, I'm like, maybe that's just a South American thing. Like, I don't know what what is this haircut? And then it's it's shown that it's a wig. So it's great Yeah. Uh, when he falls yeah, down the stairs. And it so, so it plays on that thing that everybody's been thinking the whole movie, that this guy's hair is ridiculous, and then you see, oh, it's a piece. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. you got it. And then later he's got it back on like nothing happened, but he's got his little uh, neck brace. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, that's, man. that's another, just it's just a subtle little, either you see it or you don't. <laughs> it's like if you see yeah. it, you're going to be laughing laughing your ass off seeing this guy in a neck brace but some people probably wouldn't even think anything of it i don't know but yeah
0: yeah uh i i wanted to put him in here specifically because of that uh he doesn't have a whole lot to do in terms of like lines or anything like that but uh he's in most of the movie and he's just he's great for the comic relief um next time uh we have meta meta Matthew um, Matthew Matthew uh, Mattel Amelric uh, who plays Dominic Green Um, I know him from the Diving Bell and the Butterfly which was released in 2007 I think I'm relatively positive he won the Oscar for best actor that year really Um, but that's what I knew him from and then uh, I just watched recently uh, the the what was the name of the movie? Uh, Christ. Um,
1: Grand Budapest Hotel?
0: No, not Grand Budapest. Uh, Sound, of, uh, Sound of Metal. I'm just looking and at it. And he was is. in it. And uh, yeah, so he's also in Munich, uh, which is a fantastic movie. Um, but uh, yeah, so I feel like kind of the same way I feel about Jeffrey Wright, in that he is miscast uh because I feel like this dude is too good of an actor to be in this movie if that makes sense um
1: his casting kind of makes me think of like like uh Sean Harris in in Mission Impossible Mm, although much better used in Mission Impossible um that's a great villain. Uh, but kind of go it, it it sucks because like again I think the, the quantum plot is great and I think Green's plot is great. He's just not a very menacing character because again, yeah. what they're trying to represent is just he's just a power broker. He's not the he's not the head honcho. Bond is trying to find out who's in charge of quantum. Dominic Green is not in charge of quantum. He's in charge of like yep. some South American wing negotiating power over Bolivia. Like he's not He's not a, a, an evil, Dr. Evil villain, right? <laughs> so, I, I yeah, I don't know. He, he's much more of a, a pencil pusher kind of villain than a actual action guy. As you see later with him fighting, he's just flailing about. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I I haven't seen him in anything else. This is literally the only movie I've seen with him. So I I can't say whether or not he could have, you know, what more he could have brought with different writing or a different character. I don't know. I don't know. For me, I like the character. Just, I think he serves his role fine.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think that he is necessarily bad in the role. I just feel like there's, there's something that's just, I, I feel like I wanted more. He plays, and, uh, he plays a gross sleaze ball really well. Yeah, that is, that is very true. Very, very true. Um, so next, Next up is Olga Kurolenko as Camille. Um, She is... uh, This... uh, Again... I I don't necessarily like the casting here. Hmm. I think she's a very attractive woman. Hmm. uh, And she is very attractive in this. But I don't know that she necessarily does... Like, when you go from Vesper and Ava Green... To... Camille and Oga Korolenko, like, there's. I feel like a drastic drop off. Uh, she's good, you know, for. Like, she serves the role well, but I don't think she does anything exceptional.
1: Well, I think. I think it's good because they, they, they cast her and wrote her as a counterpart to Bond. They're on kind of a similar quest. Mm hmm. But there was never going to be romance between these two. Bond is not ready for that. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he kisses sure. her at the end. There's a kind of a connection, but it was never going to be anything. And so you don't want somebody like Vesper. You want somebody who, who seems to be on her own path that happens to intersect Bonds. Um, and when it comes to if you just if you strip away the whole movie and it's just her arc, I think she does great. Again, like, I, 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 she nails that bit at the end where they're in the flaming room and she's just panicking and just totally, I was, I was almost tearing up watching it, just thinking through what she must be going through, mm-hmm. just terrified, just can't move, just and, and to get to the point where she's willing to let Bond shoot her so she's not having to die like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was it was perfectly performed, but outside of some of those scenes, she's more just intersecting Bond and doesn't have too much to do. Um, or like in the case of like, you know, and I think she's great when they introduce her with Dominic Green and she's going through that whole process and you see her trying to play Green and he's not buying it, but she's still trying to maintain her cover. And then when Madrano comes up and she realizes she's about to finally meet the guy she's been hunting and she kind of loses her focus and she's like oh that's him oh okay like she's excited because now finally she's going to have her chance and she's kind of losing her focus on persuading Green um I think it's great but then she immediately gets in the boat and gets knocked out and is unconscious I'm like <laughs> you don't see her doing that much with Bond so yeah I don't know I, So I, um...
0: I think she plays the part
1: that was written really well
0: I think she's uh, – yeah. I I think that that one scene in particular near the end uh, – I, I actually think she – when I look at, like, what's going on, I think she gets stronger as the movie goes along. And that one scene at the end in particular, I think she is excellent yeah. Uh, But there's just – I don't know. There's, there's something that I don't feel like the, the – the acting from her is necessarily as strong when you consider again like what Ava Green did yeah. but I, I i see your point about the she's a different character she doesn't need to be right you don't uh, you
1: don't need the chemistry you don't need the, the yeah. you don't need the audience to love her you just need the audience to understand what she's doing and what she's going yeah. through i i was actually thinking as she walked off at the end of the movie when i was watching it yesterday that like I'd watch a movie with her, like if they wrote a movie around that character, focusing on her. Like mm-hmm. afterwards, I'd watch that. Yeah, um, I just don't think she really got the full potential of that character in that film.
0: Yeah, they, yeah, Didn't that get to fully explore that. I think that's maybe uh, less about her and more about the writing. Right? But yeah, I I feel that. Uh, lastly, we've got Daniel Craig as James Bond. Uh, there's. There's not much to say because I feel like he he carries over his performance from from Casino Royale really well. But I'll I'll say this I I feel like he emotes more and there's more like almost like smoldering under the surface with him in this one uh, that isn't necessarily in the first one and I like it more because of that like I think he's better in this movie uh, even though it's kind of more of the same if that makes sense Yeah.
1: I mean you take like the uh, apartment fight um, and at the end when he's just waiting for the guy to die like the expression on his face is perfect where he's just trying to like I'm not even gonna look at this guy I don't care just hurry up and die dude just you know and it's just such a cold just a cold hearted bastard in that scene uh, but then immediately goes down and is kind is of kind of a little charming with the the hotel clerk to get the brief. Oh, do you have any messages and all that? And he goes out and just kind of playful with Camille as he gets in the car. He's like, I think someone wants to kill you. Like uh, he's totally it, it, I, how do I, like you said, he's more expressive. It's like higher highs and lower lows. Like he's able to, mm-hmm. to bring it much more dark when he needs to, but also be a little bit more charming and a little bit more fun. When it calls for that, too. I think he's mm-hmm. getting more comfortable, which is the thing with Bond. Uh, every actor, the first outing is typically good with most of the actor, with all the actors, really. But then it's the second and the third where they start to really find the character and figure out how they want to do it. Um, and I was mm-hmm. the case with Craig, too. And he just he definitely improved. And I think it, it, it's worth noting that because they didn't have a writer, Craig doesn't get a writing credit, but he was helping figure out the story, too. So he understood mm-hmm. the character. He understood what was going on and he was able to contribute to the story and, and how things were going to go.
0: Yeah, I, I think that can't be understated or. Uh, well, I think that is understated mm-hmm. and it can't be overstated how much he is. uh or how much the role in this movie is indebted to him. Yeah. Uh, because, like, like, a lot of this stuff wasn't there when they started filming. Um, but, yeah, he's great. He's he's very good. Very, 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 very good in this. Um, well, I guess... Uh, yeah, that's it. We'll, we'll get to our final thoughts. Um, so... I like this movie a lot, and it has definitely gone up the rankings for me uh, since since I initially saw it. Because I remember watching this movie and thinking it was fine uh, back in, like, uh, probably, like, 2009. That's probably about when the DVD came out. Um, and not... When, when I put it up against Casino Royale, I was like, oh, this is garbage compared to it. Mm-hmm. But I kind of don't think that it is, and I kind of think that it has a lot more going on than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as good as Casino Royale. I think Casino Royale is, is excellent and is a, is a top-tier James Bond movie, but I kind of think that this one gets unfairly overlooked uh, and has a lot of really great Uh thematic purpose behind it And Daniel Craig is just uh, I mean he's excellent in this Um I think that Outside of maybe Uh the stuff that he does In Skyfall I think that this might be His best performance in in the role mm-hmm. Um I think He's really really good Uh the movie has its Problems I I really do think that It's edited like Utter dog shit. Um, I also, I'm not, I'm not sure that the the plot stuff with um, you know Dominic Green is works the best for me. But I think that this movie again is is a lot better than people get it credit for. Um, so if, if we're going with the the double O scores again, I I'd, I'd probably put it somewhere in the neighborhood of like four double four
1: hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I. This is. I've been trying to be measured with some of my, my. The way I'm talking about this. Um, this is like my second favorite Bond movie. I fucking love this oh, movie. Wow. Um, <laughs> I think I think it it captures a lot of the uh, the the uh, what I what I call it. It's the the inventiveness in the different Fleming novels. I think it really does a great job of exploring who Bond is and how the events of Casino Royale impacted him. And by the end of the film, even though they've kind of done this like in every single Craig Bond film, at the end of the film, he truly is James Bond. He's not just learned to be effective. he's learned to be appropriately dispassionate and passionate about the right things. At the, he's, he's learned to put his priorities in the right order. And... I think that exploration of the character is just so good. And this is a movie that every time I go back to watch it, I like it more because the pieces fit together better. The I, I start, you know, they thought it through. If you watch it on the surface, it feels like they just kind of slap this thing together and it feels like chaos. But the more I watch it, the more I see that, even if it's not assembled, like in the editing, if it's not assembled perfectly, I think all the pieces are there and I love it. I just, I, 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 it, it, it bums me out that all the stuff they set up with Quantum in this gets kind of tossed out the window. In, in Skyfall, it's an unrelated plot, technically. And then in Spectre, they just say, well, all of it was Spectre, all of it was Blofeld. It's like, oh, oh yeah. man, why did you have to do that? Because I, I really li- I wish, I wish even if they got the rights back to Spectre and Blofeld, I wish they would have just kept going with Quantum because it would have been something new and mysterious. and I, I really liked what they were doing. Um, mm-hmm. I would probably have to rate this if we're just talking Bond, I would give it a, a 007. If we're talking overall, just whatever, I don't, I, we didn't talk through our, our rating system for anything before yeah. doing this, but I would probably rate it the same as Casino. I'd give it a, a 006.5. I just, I, I adore this movie. I see the problems people have. The more I watch the film, the less I have a problem with those things. Um, I think a lot of it's stylistic choices that either vibe with you or don't. Um, yeah, yeah I, 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 I adore this movie.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a good one for sure. Um, well, that's it. That's the end of, of this show. Uh, we'll go ahead and we'll do some um, some plugs real quick uh, and then we'll get out of your hair. Um, so as always, you can find us on social media for all things Culture Bop, uh, Culture Bop Selects and. Well, uh... We'll just say all things Culture Bop. We'll, we'll, we'll go that route instead of having it, uh... Yeah. Anyway, uh... Culture Bop is available on Twitter at Culture underscore Bop. On Instagram at Culture underscore Bop. Uh... And on YouTube at Culture Bop. You'll have to search for it. Because don't have that fancy custom URL yet. Uh... And then... This, uh... This podcast in particular will not have um, a Twitter or Instagram. It'll just be under the same feed as Culture Pop, and you can find me uh, on Twitter at the Bebop Man One Eight Two on Instagram at Bebop One Eight Two, and on the Twitch where I will be getting back to it shortly. Uh, the underscore Bebop Man. Uh, I didn't write anything down here for you, Mister uh, because. Um, I don't know what all you'd like to share, but uh, go for it. If you have any socials you want to shout out.
1: So you can find me on OnlyFans at, uh, no, um, no, <laughs> uh, that's our second I, Patreon. I would subscribe. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, I'm just on Instagram at Gil skit, uh, G I L B E E Z Y S K I T. Um, that's it. I post dumb stuff that comes into my brain. So that's fun.
0: He does post dumb stuff. A lot of that dumb stuff. <laughs> Um, if you're looking to support this podcast, our other podcast, Hunting Pixels, or any of the other endeavors that we will be undertaking as Culture Pop, then go to patreon.com slash Toss us a pledge. Uh, we are offering some very cool perks over there, including Patreon exclusive podcasts, which we uh, talked about earlier in the episode. Uh, you actually these normal feeds you'll get access to three days early, and uh, yeah, a bunch of other stuff. So check it out. Go over there. Support us if you can. Um, and now, now that is it. That is the end of the show. So um, yeah, until next time. Goodbye.